was, he was all running up for sure. There was going to be a doe that shot out like 45 <laughs> yards. <laughs> Scary movie up against the <laughs> ceiling. <laughs> A Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Deer Grow. Heck yeah, man. Dude, we put a lot of food in the ground every year, you know, seemingly more and more, and uh, we have a ton of fun with it during the off-season. There's some struggles that come with it too, though, right? Obviously, the back of my truck is evidence, you know, right now. It's Mm -hmm. a couple weeks after uh, I jackknifed, you know, a 4,800-pound material spreader, you know, as I was coming down, and it's just too much weight for my truck there. But, you know, all those struggles aside, you know, Deer Grill really has been a staple for our food plotting process uh, for several years now. Yes, we like to put lime and fertilizer on the plots, you know, if we can, but there are some that it's just we're not able to get to them or it's not feasible for us to get out of state with that stuff and so deer grow is kind of the, the quick and easy but still super effective option for us to be able to get the most out of those food plots that we can every year and i mean we're guilty of over analyzing things just like everyone else but that's the best part about deer grow is that it's going to create healthier soils which in turn makes better food plots and the fact is is we can simply spray plot start or plot till when we put the seed in the ground and then when that plant starts to grow we hit it with boost and we know that we walk away when we come back it's going to be a great looking food plot for anybody that's looking to try deer grow if you use the code hunter15 that's h-u-n-t-r-1-5 at checkout for deergrow.com and save 15 percent on any of your deer grow products it's a great way to get started on this and just see what the results are for yourself better food plots bigger deer And we're back. Hey, on our podcast episode 157, as Nick keeps us in line. Before we start here, I uh, appreciate you guys listening where you're at, wherever you're at, uh, YouTube, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, wherever you get your podcasts at. Um, do us a favor, subscribe to our channel, uh, give us a like, and uh, leave us a comment somewhere. We do see those. Jeremy tried to, and I try to be intentional about uh, scrolling through those from mm-hmm. time to time. So um, appreciate you guys listening and uh, continue to, uh, to follow us. It's uh, what I like to refer to as National Bill Winky Day, November 7th. Is it November 7th? It is his favorite day of the year. I forgot to put my watch to on hunt. today. Uh, I just November 7th. The fans will notice tonight that uh, we kept saying that it was going to drop on November 6th, the jury episode. Ooh. So they're going to be like, November what's going 7th. on? Yeah. Once it gets to the rut, our minds <laughs> yeah. kind of drift a bit. keeping track of days. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know what day today is. The... the <laughs> Monday? You know what? Tuesday? It's, today's Tuesday. Yeah, today's Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah. We're, filming, Tuesday. we're filming early. We were having tacos week. a week ago. Taco Tuesday. We were having ta- We were doing live podcast a week ago? Uh, yeah. Question mark? Uh, Wednesday. Cause, no, because we had... Uh, that was Halloween. No, no, no. That was Tuesday. Yeah, you're right, because I was burning up after the tacos. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was Halloween. <laughs> yeah. So Halloween, the live podcast was a week ago. If you're listening to this, it was several weeks ago. Um, but yeah, it's November 7th, National Bill Winky Day. Um, which I watched his update the other day. Bill's not having a great season, isn't he? J- just not not many bucks. The ones that he d- does have are uh, nocturnal and or not showing. Mm. Have they killed any off that farm yet? Has Jordan killed one? I know there. She was after that four year old, pretty solid four year old. I don't know if she he's got it or two. Not. Yeah, whatever, older. I don't know if she five. killed that or not. I don't think so. Not that I know of, at least. Mm. Um, I mean, it seems like a tough farm to hunt. Mm-hmm. Do you know how big it is? Mm-mm. Lots of topography, I know that. Yeah, huge. Well, the the challenge, it seems like, is we kind of deal with it in Ohio. It's like these bucks are bedded, bedded on these big timber ridges, and yep. they're just looking down into bottoms. Yeah, they and the, see you. And the primary axis is up the gut of the farm. It's th- those are tough to hunt. Yeah, they see you. Yeah, it's crazy. So, yeah, no, I don't I don't know. Um, I don't know what he's gotten into besides that update. And, uh, you know, I know uh, Ethan was on a pretty good buck um, on one of the permission farms out there, so... 
I know Ethan's a big podcast listener or Hunter. I don't oh, know. Yeah. I don't know if Bill gives him enough time to listen to it now, oh, but yeah. sure typically is. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, it's it's National Bill Winky Day, November seventh. I, like, li- I yeah. like that. Yeah, if you're listening to this, it's what Nick, probably the twenty something. Twenty first. Twenty first. Yep. So almost Turkey Day. Almost Turkey Day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we love some love some turkey. Uh, I'm just looking forward to a plate full of like everything. Just everything. Mm. Yeah, hammered down. Big stuffing guy. Oh, oh yeah, who me too. Dude. It's, yeah, it's yeah. The yeah. Best. absolutely. It's the best. Yeah, just got to balance it though, because you yeah. eat too much stuffing and you're full. Yeah, that's hard to compact. Yeah, it's just already compacted. Or, uh, make time to eat again later. Cranberry mm-hmm. sauce. Mm-hmm. I like it all, dude. Green bean casserole. All of it. Oh, oh my god. Ugh. I don't think there's a single thing on the Thanksgiving menu that I'm not a huge fan of. Yeah. The only thing I've learned to pass as I get older is uh, the dinner rolls because that mm. shit fills you up way too quick yeah. and it, it takes away from the other. It's kind of like the wasted pasture acreage of a of a primo. Very farm. much so. <laughs> yeah, you want to yeah. you want to keep it that's, good stuff. That's pure fescue, <laughs> in my opinion. Right, right, right. Yeah. So yeah, I try to. <laughs> we try want to some more of the clover, more because the they're always available. They're right there, staring at you, and you're like, oh, I should throw one of these on top. And then once it's on top, it's like easy to reach, easy to. Is easy that my to laptop? Access. Yeah. That's weird. I've never heard it make that noise before. Beep, beep, beep. Someone's trying to get into your Google account. Might be Margie. Really? <laughs> I don't know. It said enter your <laughs> password for Jared Prussia in internet accounts. It also could be ISIS. It could be. I didn't get anything. Well, um, we've had a busy last week, and we've got a busy two weeks ahead of us. Uh, <laughs> as do most people listening to this. I mean, it's November. Mm-hmm. Um it's kind of hard to believe. I know um, just because we always screw this up, or at least I do. Uh, so this past weekend, which would have been, whatever, fourth, fifth, something around there, uh, Minnesota gun season open. So there is a rifle season. Yeah. Minnesota, Minnesota season. has a gun season in the first week of November and just opened up the crossbow season. You Holy are Holy cow. Yeah. That hurts feeling it. That's hard. That hurts. <laughs> that hurts feeling it at this point. Sorry for you guys. Uh, I know that. This upcoming weekend. No wonder we see more Minnesota plates out of state any, than anywhere else. I know. That makes sense. Yeah, because their gun season's done. Yeah. So then they go and go hunt elsewhere. Uh, Kentucky opens this Saturday. Wow. Missouri <laughs> opens this Saturday. Wisconsin, I believe, opens this Saturday. I Actually, I think the youth season in Ohio opens up, too. This coming... Uh, no, two weeks. Weekend? Two weekends? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the 17th and 19th. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Wisconsin's the one I always mess up, so somebody's going to correct this. I can't remember if it is this weekend or if it's the next weekend. Mm. Um, it's either this upcoming one, which is the 10th, I think, or the 17th or 18th. Mm. Okay. Something like that. So, um, so yeah, lots of gun Missouri's seasons. Missouri's opening, open. right? Yeah, Missouri and Kentucky for sure open up this Saturday. Yeah. Because we're always driving through that yep. Saturday. Mm-hmm. Kind of sucks. The, wow, the only uh, the, the best looking day of our week here is where, when we're going to be rendezvousing. Sat- yeah, Saturday morning. So let's yeah, first of all let's let's kind of recap. Um, we talked about a little bit with Yoder on the last podcast, but so this is just Jared and I, and everybody's gone. Uh, <laughs> so just us on the podcast. Um, let's talk a little bit about like the last week, and then we'll kind of lean into the week ahead. Um, so I guess as we kind of said this a week ago, Jared and I were at our Illinois farm for the first time hunting. Um, so we did the live podcast and stuff and, you know, uh, expectations were we had a handful or three or four mature eight points that we were basically targeting. We have not seen, and it's not that I don't think they exist. We have not seen any giants transparently. Um, at the Illinois farm? Mm-hmm. 
Well, I mean, it's relative. But yeah. We've, I mean, seen, we've seen some big, big some old studs, studs you know. Yeah. But, yeah, nothing probably scoring over. I say, well, yeah, I guess when I say Giants, I mean score Giants. Like, we've not seen any Booners. Yeah, no Booners. Uh, we have some really great young bucks that score high. Yeah, solid. Um, three, yeah, good three- and four-year-olds. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. but, but because of, like, the eight, so, you know, it's kind of a rolling, like, you know, we're making decisions on uh, as we kind of go here. Mm-hmm. Um seems like we've got enough uh, older age class bucks, you know, five or older that we're, it seems like we're able to, it's, those are worth targeting. So, hey, let's, you know. Absolutely. And so we're making a conscious decision, I think, to try and pass on some of these four-year-olds. Just, mm-hmm. you know, I think it should come down to that too. I mean, I, I'm kind of comparing that to our home farm and I'm like, man, it's just kind of a, you know, the, the goals are relatively the same. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, man, I want to, I want to get these bucks to five years old. Yeah. But what's but, the man, realistic expectation? Yeah, in Ohio, it's just, um, it's the chances are so much less. And sure. so, and, but when we look at our Illinois farm, it's like, dude, we probably have, uh, four, at least four or five, five-year-old or older bucks mm-hmm. on 140 acres. Yeah. Which is crazy. You know? So it's like, well, no brainer. You know what I mean? Let's, mm-hmm. let's pass these three and four-year-olds. And, uh, almost seems like we have more of those older mature bucks, even than we do the three and four-year-olds. I assume cause they're just kicking, Keeping her, them kicking off. their butts. And, yeah, yeah. Pushing them off. Yeah. And I think that, you know, um, it's all relative to the space, right? Because how that landscape is super fragmented out there. And keep in mind, like, I don't think these, all these mature bucks are betting at all times on our property, right? They're off and on, off and on, but they're close, um, close enough that we see them almost daily every other day. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it definitely, it's one of those things that, you know, as we kind of talk about November and, and even, you know, later part of October, it's, uh, people's expectations, you know, need to be in check with where they're hunting. Uh, I mean, case in point, if you're hunting public land in Pennsylvania, I don't think many people are passing three-year-olds, mm-hmm. um, which I, I don't think I would pass yeah, a three-year-old. probably not. Um, and it's not because I don't want to kill a four- or five-year-old. That's my goal every year. But it's just the reality is there aren't many of them, if any of them, mm-hmm. in most areas. Um, whereas out there, you know, there are a lot of mature bucks. Same with Kansas. You know, we're going to be talking about Kansas here soon. Like, um, there's just, there's a lot of mature bucks in Kansas. Um, the one thing I think will be interesting as we kind of get more history in, in that part of Illinois and, and even what we've seen in other places is, and we've mentioned it before, and I know it's not relative to everybody, but the high grading thing is an interesting conversation. Yeah. Um, because we've seen, you know, we've got a, a four-year-old that's probably 160s on that Illinois farm. We've got a three-year-old that's probably mid-50s on that mm-hmm. Illinois farm. Uh, I think there's a lot of guys that would shoot those deer, and I don't blame them sure. um, if it's just I'm out hunting and I'm looking for a big buck. Uh, but the more you start to shoot those deer, the more you see kind of what we're seeing, and it's no disrespect to the deer, but we're seeing a lot of five- and six-year-old bucks that are under 140, but just 300-pound deer, um, including the deer I shot. You know, it's like... And I don't know, if you look at like a bell curve for like antler score and quality, most deer are going to be eight points and under 140 inches. That's the top of the bell curve. Hmm. That varies probably by soil type and, and management and everything. But, you know, the average buck will have eight points and he'll probably be under four, 140 inches at maturity. That's pretty much anywhere. Hmm. Um you know, so then as you start to look at that, you're going to have deer that are worse than that. And you're going to have deer, you're going to have just as many deer that are worse than that as you are better than that, which is a hard thing for, I think, a lot of people to fathom. Um, Meaning better scoring or worse scoring, same age. Mm-hmm. 
and equal numbers of them. So you'll well, have that, that's got a very state to state, right? In terms of, uh, I don't know. I don't think it does. I mean, most deer are eight points under 140 inches at maturity. Hmm. Yeah, that'd be well because there's probably the the two main factors would be you know age. Well, no, if we're taking age out of it, mm-hmm. it comes down to nutrition, gen- genetics, and, genetics. and nutrition. And genetics are about the same. You know, small variations across the board. Yeah. And that goes back case in point that you're not going to manage a free-ranging herd for genetics. Like, you're not going to shoot out all the eight points and hope all the ten points make it. That sure. it's, it's impossible. Sure. Can't do it. Yeah. People can argue that. You can't do it. Um, well, at a mass scale, I mean, th- that is the high-grading conversation, you know. Yeah. So it is happening. It is happening, but it's because you have, you know, most a majority of hunters kind of. Or antler restrictions in place that are forcing. Or antler restrictions. The harvest onto deer that are better quality and leaving lesser quality. I I suppose it's not, um, you know, it's what we should expect when you, you know, the highest value that a deer has is its antlers, Mm. right? Absolutely. To most people, most people are like, I want to, you know, with varying degrees of uh, willingness to pass or, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever, but most guys want to shoot a a big antler deer. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, uh, let's say when you say, when, when most people say I saw a big buck, they're not talking about the body. Right. Even though like in a lot of cases, like we have those conversations. If you say you saw a big buck, the first thing you look at is the antlers. Mm -hmm. It's it's undeniable. It's it's kind of the, the natural selection of of like of that situation where guys are valuing you know mm-hmm. antler size over age and, and i don't blame them i mean that's you know antlers are awesome yeah you know, we want the biggest ones there so i'm well, not it's saying always, that's wrong it's just you know that's we're kind of experienced i th- i think you know yeah. what i mean and, and it's funny on a on a like i don't know what you would call it science level or evolution level like there's been a lot of research around um you know what are the qualities of a deer that essentially establish the hierarchy for breeding you know, which is very relevant to the time frame we're in now. You know, a lot of people would say, well, it's the most mature buck, the biggest body buck, the brute buck. Um, but there's a lot of thoughts of like, you know, do does select bucks based on antler size? Well, check you know, this does out. Does size matter, Nick? That's the age old question. Check this out. Um, so dad has seen two different bucks, maybe more than, I'll say two different does get bred mm-hmm. by bucks mm-hmm. uh, in the past week or so. Um one was just a, a mature buck. I do think he's at least five mm-hmm. uh, and, a, and a doe just out in the middle of a field. The other one was there was two or three bucks, and he saw at least two of them breed this doe. Mm-hmm. One was, he's thinking, it was that V-brow buck probably. Oh, yeah. Probably a four-year-old. Yep. Uh, but also saw a two-year-old breeder. And they yep. were like... They're all right there. And they were all right there. So it was just kind of like a... I don't know soup, what the exact so numbers are. Um, yeah, soup kitchen. The uh, <laughs> I think Mississippi State did the research, but it's it's a, a sh- kind of an alarmingly high number of uh, does that have a fawn from one buck and another fawn from another buck it, called multiple paternity. Is it a lot? It's alarming, like or, or it's just surprising. Thirty plus percent. Yeah. Something like that. Is that surprising or is that just, I mean. Um, I think by the nature of how. Maybe in the sense that people didn't know that that could happen. Correct. Yeah. 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 But I think in na- by nature of like how deer are herd species and, and to that case in point, when a doe comes into estrus, it's usually not just one buck around her, right? There's multiple Can bucks other species do that? I assume so, right? Yeah. I can. People can't do that, right? I don't know. I don't think I so. I assume, uh, you know, most, uh, w- what's the term for like hooved animals? Ungulates. Most ungulates probably, if deer can do it, I assume mule deer sure. and elk and stuff can do well, it. Well, what's interesting about like um, elk at least is most elk only have one calf. 
Okay. Right. So like the average is one calf per cow. Whereas in whitetails, obviously it's two one and a half to two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the average. Mm-hmm. You know, your younger does are usually only having one fawn. Your older does are having two fawns to a point. Pretty wild. So, yeah, I mean, cause that's, you know, when we talk about, um, stick around the, the, what bucks can be at maturity and stuff. When we talk about the genetic side, right. <clears throat> In most of those cases, that doe has contributed genetics to both fawns, whereas that buck may have only contributed genetics to one fawn, and then this buck committed genetics to the other. So it's where a lot of people talk about, like, the rule of does being, like, the the dictator, essentially, of, of genetic quality. is because at any given time when the doe has the fawns, right, she, that those fawns have her genetics, period. But... Yeah. It depends on the fawn maybe having this buck's genetics, like that two-year-old genetic. And it's not saying that that buck didn't have good genetics. He was a two-year-old. Could be a stud at four or five. Sure. Um, so that's the hard part because people are like, oh, you know, what if the spike breeds a doe? Well, that spike's one years old. And you, well, who know, He could be a booner at five. I know. You don't know. Yeah. Right? So it's... it's it, I always get a kick out of the genetics. Like, the way we perceive them is, like, guys will, you know, just say anything that, sure. that you believe, you know? It's like, when guys say, oh, you know, I, I'm glad this guy deer got a chance to breed before I killed him. And it's like, this deer been breeding for four years. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, he's been breeding since he was one and a half years old. Yes. I mean, yes, yeah, I guess you are you got another season under your belt there, sure. I guess. But. Yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird conversation. Dude, it is cool. It's really neat to, to see and try to make connections, uh, like lineages on, mm-hmm. on farms that you hunt. Like, you know, that big three-year-old we've got mm-hmm. this year, the dad pass, it's yep. like, he's like a spitting image of Goose. Yeah. It's the first year that I've had. I mean, so Goose was seven years ago, mm-hmm. like seven years ago, mm-hmm. you know, when he was three, four, five, five years old is when he got killed. Um, it just looks exactly like him. In a while. Exactly. And he's and he's right in the same area too. And I'm like, man, it'd be cool to kinda I'm sure watch yeah. him progress. And well, I and I see tastes of like the the Spaniard. I'm uh-huh. like, you know, and those little pockets, I'm like, ooh, I'm like that your kinda has just Well, it's the one su- thing that we talk about on your farm all the time. Say pressure browse. The pressure browse. The pressure browse. Yeah. And that's a, not a distinct lineage. That's all, a lot of our deer have A lot of good your deer have times. just big brows yeah. on them. And it's kinda or multiple brows. And it's just kinda weird because you don't see that everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, it's so that buck that Harlan shot this year behind the house as a two-year-old looks exactly like the larger buck that I've been hunting behind the house. Like yeah. great G2s, like almost non-existent threes. Yeah. Um, and so it's just, I'm sure that that deer's a, an offspring, you know, what down the line, whether it was him directly or a doe from him, like, you know, those are the mix and matches that you don't know, but you for sure see traits. I mean, it, people ask me that all the time when, when I was doing management one of the first things people would ask is like, well, you know, how can I tell a farm is good before I buy it? In in retrospect to the deer uh, aspect, not necessarily like habitat and layout. And it's like, well, I mean, that's why history is so important, you know? And the first thing that I look at is is age. Because if, if that property doesn't have a history of producing four and or five-year-old bucks, if that's your goal, you're going to have a tough time, yeah. right? And that may not be ind- indicative of the property. It's just the neighborhood mm-hmm. that you're in. Um, and then from there, I do look Absolutely at, is. I look at bucks with more points than eight. Um, and it's a weird indicator. Um, but, and I don't care if they're a two year old, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, if I see nine and tens or in some cases, twelves in a, in a history of that, that's a good sign on that property from a gene standpoint. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that you can manage to only have those. There's plenty of eights in the groups with them. But there's a lot of farms that I've seen that don't have anything bigger than an eight point. No more points than an eight, mm. ever. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I would say ours is at risk of, you know, all of our five-year-olds are eight points, five or older, right? You got flop, you yep. got G4, yep. you got the sticker. Mm-hmm. And the only one that's not is that crazy yeah, thing. crazy horse. You know, mm-hmm. and he's a 10-point, you know, he's got five on one side. and he, That's a great name, crazy horse. Is it? That's what we're naming him. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy horse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he's got, yeah, just like non tip. He's got a pedicle injury. And then look the at our side. younger deer, you know, granted, not as many of them. That's what I was saying earlier. Like we have a bunch of those you know, five year olds that we're targeting, and you already took one out, mm-hmm. you know, 128 inch eight point, mm-hmm. five year old probably. And on, on the younger side, you've got McJagger, who's your 160 type four year old split G2, t- 10 point. Made for in 10. And you've got whatever that three-year-old that we haven't named, solid one fifties, ten point three year old, four-year-old that broke his G two that I thought That's was right. the same. That's right, dagger or whatever yeah. we'll call him. We've got several that two-year-old ten, ten point. point. Yeah. yeah, like most, you know, four and younger seems to have better genetics than our five and up. Mm-hmm. And so that's why, you know, I mean, not like that we, you know. We're targeting those older eight points. I mean, that's, we're, we're going to try to clean that up. Well, what we don't want to see is those younger, high-quality bucks get pushed Please. out and killed. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, it, you know, for, for all the obvious reasons is we want to see them get another year on them. We, we want them to be on that property. Um, you know, we want to be as – the thing is, is it doesn't matter what the property size is, is that if you can be the most influential on that deer as possible, you stand the best chance of either – protecting and or shooting that deer um yeah they're going to go off the property lines whether it's 28 acres or 150 acres or or 500 acres but the more influential you can be the more that that deer is going to stick uh especially during daylight hours to the property because we've talked about that with sturgis in the past is like you could have giant bucks that are on your property at all times during the night that you are not the most influential on that deer because it's all at night you can't do anything like you're not going to be able to harvest that deer. You're not going to be able to protect that deer, right? If he's only coming on your property in the evenings, that's just how it is. Um, well, yeah. I mean, in that case, you know, break it down. You're saying to influence a herd is it's done by killing one of the animals or protecting or protecting them. And so, you know, the, the way that you have control over that is like where they're killable mm-hmm. or you know, AKA moving in daylight hours. Yeah. And it's funny cause I talk to people, I've had this conversation just over the last couple of weeks with people who are purely hunting public land. It's the same thing. It's like, listen, on public land, there are places on public land that these deer are moving during daylight hours. Those are the influential spots on public land. There's a lot of pub- public land and even adjacent private land that these deer are moving nocturnal. Forget about it. It doesn't, doesn't matter. It's irrelevant to the conversation. Um, and that's where, like, when you start to talk about, like, even my Ohio farm, where I've got all this public bordering me, I've got a lot of deer on camera at night on the public land, mm-hmm. but those deer are daylighting on my farm, right? Or vice versa. I've got deer that are daylighting on public and nighttime on my farm. Like there's, there are influential spots across the landscape. And I think if you can identify those spots, that's where you have the best chance of success. Um, and it's, it, it's all the, the standard things. It's like, where is he betting, right? If you can locate where he's betting, the odds of you seeing him in daylight are substantially increased. And it, it doesn't, you know, we've broken down our Illinois farm here in the last week just with what we're seeing on trail camera and observations. And it's like, as much as it seems crazy, it's like, damn, these deer are probably bedded right next to the road. Yeah. And once you identify that, now you can set up stand locations that are influential to that location because if you catch them at night like it doesn't matter 
you got Grady's on your farm. He's there at night, but that doesn't do anything. Yeah, well, you're just saying like the good spots on the farm. Yeah, like the, you know, you're in what you're calling an influencer spot is just the spot you're likely to kill him or or yes. not have an opportunity to see yes. him daily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, for sure. And, and different properties, I think, have different qualities, but and it's there is no way to like uh, have 100 percent control of that without. I mean, frankly, high fences is that that's the only way. Yeah, you can't that you've got it. total influential power over your herd. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these man, you can have the. I mean, even so, Sturgis is the guy that I guess coin. You know. He's not the first to do it, but he coined the term, you know, herd influence, yep. which just means how do you have the most opportunities? How do you have the most daylight movement happening in a space that you can have an effect on you know, mm-hmm. on your farm, basically? Um, and even he's got deer that like he's like, I don't know. They just don't like us. You know, they they're, sure. I, we they're, they leave. Yep. Yeah. Because they, I mean, they do. Got, deer, I've got plenty just... of deer that I, I, <clears throat> I see often on camera <clears throat> all at night. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I'll ever see that deer in daylight. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's like, you know home is home i think to these deer and so you can give them everything mm-hmm. they want but if they have a certain connection to a certain area or like you know have survived for so long in a certain space like not not on your farm you're not going to necessarily coax them over and be like oh, i'm gonna i'm gonna move you yeah. know that, that's a big decision well that's for, the, for us right I mean, I, i'm gonna mo- pick up my home area and i'm gonna make it here from here on out i mean that's that's the mystique of these big bucks i think and we've you know we've said about it jokingly to a point but it's like man if you could collar and track some of these mature bucks you know, number one is like, uh, even at this time of, of year, it's like, you know, how, um, how early in like an evening, let's say, do these deer get up to move from their bed? You know, and I assume it varies a lot by pressure. I think pressure is the number one factor. People talk about, um, private public land and this and that. Listen, it ultimately doesn't matter what it is, is pressure. I think number one, even more so than weather determines when these deer are going to move. Human pressure. Not barometric pressure no 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 i think human pressure dictates how these deer move way more than any other factor out there weather moon phase whatever the hell you rot doesn't matter it's human pressure especially when you get into those older age classes but even in younger that that buck if he is pressured he is not getting up from his thick cover until he feels like it's time to get up from his thick cover Mm. and if he's constantly faced with human pressure unless you're talking about like suburban columbus or something like that that deer ain't moving. Well, I mean, it's interesting on that Illinois farm. We, we didn't have a single picture of a of a, a Frank. I don't think of any bucks in daylight until like November. Yeah, like late October. I mean, I shot my buck in daylight before we had a daylight picture of a yeah. mature buck. Yeah, I mean, they were just inherently, you know, not fairly nocturnal. Mm-hmm. More than we'd seen. We really, I didn't seen. We had only seen what a couple mature deer on camera. Period. Right. It was really in the last week that it was like, right. All of a sudden, they start popping. Yeah, and that pocket there seems to be. I mean, extremely influenced by the you know the crops, the agricultural cover. You yeah. Know? And yeah. I mean, as far as your the GPS man, you could learn so much just to know. Mm-hmm. To, to know what these deer are doing it's funny um <clears throat> the other night i hunted two days there in ohio and mm-hmm. uh, the second night was really slow i sat in a, in a just a blind over a over a food plot and i didn't see hardly anything i mean just uh a gearling buck and and two fawns or whatever and then i left and i was when i was driving home it's like an hour and a half two hour drive freaking deer everywhere i think it would just be so eye-opening for people to see it's like they're, they're there under the cover of darkness yeah these deer will go especially during the ride i mean yep. they're in your yard they're crossing the roads it's mm-hmm. like it's, it's like it's like a totally different world you know when the yeah when darkness comes yeah i think it it 
it, you know, even when, like when I hunted public land here in Pennsylvania a lot, and even in Missouri when I lived there, um, it was so weird because once I narrowed down where a buck was likely bedding, right? I never knew exactly, like I, I wasn't the type of guy to go in and say, oh, this is a buck bed door and not, I didn't find that. Um, but once I kind of narrowed down, like, all right, this is where I think this deer is bedding, you know, it was, it was more calculated approach to like the conditions all had to align for me to see him during daylight hours. You know, when you think about the advent of trail cameras and stuff, you're like, well, you kind of have eyes on that 24 seven. I mean, look at, look back through your buck pictures. Like I would say 70% of them are night pictures. Um, like they're, you know, they're just, they're animals of, of habit where they're moving at you know, right before daylight and right after dusk. There's a term for it. Crepuscular. Crepuscular. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Dawn and dusk, peak Mm -hmm. movement times. Yep. And so, you know, when you start to look at that kind of thing, it it really goes to kind of the the Cody DeQuistio's mindset and, um, you know, even Dan Enfault, like the more aggressive in a calculated way you can be, the, your success enhances like astronomically. Um, because if you consider consider sitting back and and trying not to pressure these deer, or you don't want to booger whether it's your property or public. It doesn't matter. The fact is, is the more conservative you are, I bet your chances decrease pretty rapidly. Um, now, over the course of the season, you may have more sightings, or that deer may stay on your property. But putting yourself in the pers- the uh, position of success or harvest is probably dramatically lower being conservative. But you also can't be over the top aggressive to where you just kind of throw, you know, all signs to the wind and just sort of like, oh, I'm just going to go in here and hunt because this is where he's at. Because ultimately that pressure could kill the hunt and and possibly the deer, you know, even more. I mean, it it should, uh, I think it needs to change throughout the season. Like I think earlier and later, Mm -hmm. you probably would do well to be more conservative Mm -hmm. because their patterns are not going to necessarily... you know, be all like, I guess what I'm saying is like during the, dude, when people are in the woods, like people are there, these deer are getting pressured no matter yeah. what you do. Well, we've talked about it before. I mean, the, it, the reality is every single property in America is getting hunted. That's so weird. And isn't it? every single deer, almost probably every single deer is encountering, encountering hunters in the woods, you know? And so, yes, you don't want to tip them off to like being in a, like, having a terrible experience in a specific area and they smell you, they see you and it's like, mm-hmm. okay, they, they might avoid that area. But these deer are seeing, they're smelling people in the woods everywhere. They're, they're, they're busting hunters. They're seeing people getting out, there's trucks driving through fields mm-hmm. and stuff. Like they're getting pressured no matter what, mm-hmm. you know? And so at times of the season where maybe the pressure is not as direct, maybe not as harmful, I, I would argue early and late, if you mm-hmm. had food sources or you have bedding areas that you can kind of, uh, mm-hmm. that, that they feel safe in for a period of time. But during the rut, I mean, these deer are covering so much ground. They're uncovering so much pressure yeah, I mean, I would agree. I think you just have to you have to get in there, be in the right time, right place. Here, here's the here's the negative. I think of being conservative during those peak movement times of the year is that like they know you were there, whether you're there or not. They smell you walking in. They 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 can sense that you were. They know that you were there. So the problem is if you you know let's say you have to go a hundred yards to get to. I'm just using that as an example, like get into the, you know, the spot, get mm-hmm. it, you know, you're calling it the influencer, influential spot or, but just the killing spot. If you, if you stop short of that, if you go 50 or, you know, 50, 60 yards, let's say, and you're like, well, I want to be conservative. I'm going to stay kind of on the buffer here. Let's say you don't see that deer and then you get out and leave. Then that deer under the cover of darkness walks right in there and he, he, he knows. knows you were just there. Yeah. And he, he you knows. know, 
it has the same impact as if you had gone in that hundred yards or, or whatever it is and actually and killed them. Maybe you got an opportunity in daylight. So you have to weigh it like that. It's like the deer knows you were there, whether you saw him or not. So you need to make your time in the woods as effective as possible. How long do you think some of those deer um, are affected by, let's say, the discovery of of you as a hunter? So depends on the encounter. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, wind, sea. Yeah, like if they, I think if a deer, depends. Like so, you know, you bumped a deer going into the pinch, mm-hmm. pinch, pinch the other day, and they didn't uh, see you or smell you. No, the, to your heard me. They just heard you, and I think deer will be back. You know that night. Yeah, or whatever. Yeah, you know, I don't think they were that affected by that situation. W- Winky's done a good job talking about this. He's just mm-hmm. talking about different types of encounters. Uh, the contrary would be if you sneak into a buck's bedroom and, you know, you see him c- coming out, last light or whatever, and wind swirls and he smells you. And if, you know, you're not in a good cover tree, if he sees you and he's at a close distance, mm-hmm. you know, maybe he's got close before he realizes you're there, that's going to freak him out. If he sees yeah. you, smells you, and he's close and it's a close encounter, it, they don't like that. However, you know, that's what I'm saying is like, you know, during the rut, these deer, they'll do crazy stuff. Sure. You know what I mean? A, very, a doe could yeah, they're not pull them through correctly. there the same day. Yeah. The same is probably not true, you know, late season or, you know, especially late season after they've encountered all this pressure, you know, let's paint this, the same scenario. You go into whatever, a tree stand or a blind on the edge of a food source. Um, same thing happens. They're going to probably be a lot more. Uh, wary of coming back mm. into that situation when they're not, they're they're not, their their judgment's not clouded by does. They're not right. actively seeking. They're just trying to safely get between bed and food, and they know that you were, you know, you were there, <laughs> and, and yeah. they caught you. They're going to be careful around that that situation in the yeah. future. I mean, I've killed. Um, I want to say it was the year after I killed that buck over your shoulder. I killed a like a four year old up on the mountain who was with a doe locked down. And he busted me twice in the stand. Knew I was there. Which one was this? That was when I killed up at Foster's place. Had like a oh, yeah. beam. Yeah, yeah. Busted me twice. I filmed it. Yeah. Yeah, like he knew he knew you were there. Knew I was, was there. Looking at you, but could would smell not you. would not leave the doe. Yeah. Um. And eventually, that that doe literally was under my stand or within a ten yard radius the entire time, and he was doing circles around me, big loops. And eventually, she came through, and he couldn't help but follow her. And it killed him at 10 yards, you know, and that deer knew that was in there. In fact, the the Illinois buck that I killed, I don't think he knew what I was or where I was. He just knew in that vicinity that something was there. He saw something that shouldn't have likely been there, but he hesitated enough that it killed him. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's funny in that there's certain ones or certain time frames that I think you can get away with it. I think the one thing we've talked about in the past is the one thing we don't realize as hunters, because a lot of times we're hunting in woods or, you know, the way that the landscape lays is the number of bucks that wind us that we never see. Oh yeah. That get downwind from us. And like, we're just like, I can't believe this buck didn't show. He was down there. He smelled you. He's gone. Well, dude, the difference between, uh, the deers, uh, you know, their, uh, whatever auditory versus, uh, sight versus smell, basically olfactory, olfactory. Mm -hmm. you know, I'd say they trust their nose 10 times more than they trust their eyes. Absolutely. To the point where regardless of the time of season, there's, you know, they might see you and there's a chance that if you just kind of like 
you know, they're like a T-Rex. If you're just still, like, they just kind of, <laughs> they'll give up on you. The T-Rex Because if they can't smell you, mm-hmm. they won't be able to confirm it. Yes, you don't want them to see you. Sure. Um, well, that's why cover in a tree is so But important. that's why you can kill a, a deer in fluorescent orange, you know. A, 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 you know yeah, exactly. They might see you, but they're just kind of like, it, it's cool until they smell you. And now they're... Suspicions are confirmed and they're they're done. Yes. You know, on the contrary, if they don't see you and they just smell you, they ain't waiting around. They're gone. No. Yeah. And I mean, that's where, you know, everybody knows it has been winded by Buck and stuff, uh, except for John Eberhardt. Right. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but the number of deer you, you don't see that wind you is astronomical. Yeah. Uh, most of the time it's those mature bucks that you're hunting. Like those mature does, they'll let you know they smelled you. Like it's a mile and a half away and it's. Yeah. Well, that's where it's cool to, um, you know, it's kind of an art, I think, of reading, uh, um, what would you call that? Like uh, mannerisms, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. You can tell. You can tell when a deer goes on edge and, and. When you if you spend enough time, you know, in the woods, you can just you can almost you know what they're thinking. Like mm-hmm. the minute they smell you, just their demeanor changes. They they stiffen up a little bit, or yep. um, you know, that uh, is imperative, I think, to reading the situation. Um, and, and actually, so when you talk about once a deer's in killing range or you know in bow range or whatever, then it becomes. So uh, here we go. I'm, t- I'm trying to kill this thing. You know, it's we're in the right spot. The deer's there in mm-hmm. daylight. Now you have this whole a whole subset of like this is now how, this is where Ben Risen would be the guy to you know break down right. for you what happens in this moment here I'm trying to control my breathing I'm trying to not freak out and drop you know drop stuff I'm trying to be aware of other eyes and very much trying to read the demeanor of the deer that I'm trying to kill I'm watching him watch other deer I'm yep. aware of where he's at in relation to my my scent my my wind direction and stuff and like all all of those are calculated decisions to like when to draw when to shoot do I have to stop him or not? You know, what's, what's happening around me? I think a lot of people have a difficult time processing all that at the same time. Oh, dude, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. I mean, that's, it's hard to explain or teach somebody that too. Yeah. Well, that's what makes somebody a killer. Like, you know, you can put, you can put somebody in the right stand or in, you know, the right spot or whatever. But when that buck is there, especially a big buck, a big old mature buck, you know, things are not dumb. Um, there's a lot of, that's where experience I think comes in. You know, it's, it's, okay, I've seen this before. I can anticipate what this deer is going to do. And all of those factor into the decisions that you make to, you know, get the thing killed. I think in that same right, you know, a little bit earlier than this time, but, but this time as well is, um, calling at bucks, especially when you have visual on them. I think a lot of people like immediately, if a buck's out of range, they're like, I'm going to ground them in. I'm going to rattle them in. I think understanding that buck's demeanor when you see him is going to give you a lot of insight into is he going to respond to that or is he going to spook by it or is he going to lock up like um, even where you're at in a stand like if he can see the whole bottom and you grunt or rattle at him and he looks and he's like there's nothing there yeah he's not coming or or even worse the deer's directly downwind of you you know yeah, a lot of guys would probably still call at it. You know what I mean? But the reality is, he's he's gonna smell you. He's got you. He's got you. He may have, he already has you. He's just like he I might know that I'm I'm far enough away that it's not a danger. And now you know you're you're throwing uh, sounds at him that he should associate with like, hey, I'm coming to that, or I'm intrigued by that too. Like, oh, that's weird. It's coming from the thing I know is not right. Yeah. And they learn from that. Yep. Almost for sure. You know what I mean? That's where you see. 
uh, higher pressured states, deer respond way less to calling. It's it, uh, absolutely is for that reason. Yeah. You know, guys calling at deer and, and getting busted. I think it's, and I don't know if I inherently do it, but um, I've killed more bucks blind calling than I have calling at. Uh, and I think obviously if I can't see them, they can't necessarily see where my location is. And so that blind calling kind of has to draw them at least closer mm-hmm. to investigate or to get downwind to me if they can. Um, and if you set yourself up right, they shouldn't try to get downwind, right? Or they, you should be parallel to them at, at worst. Um, but that, I do think that that blind calling aspect of it is is an interesting thing because I know there's a lot of people, in fact, that think maybe, and I think it was Terry Drury. I think Terry said something the other day where he's he doesn't blind call at all. He only calls when he sees a deer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know a lot of people Mike that are like the that. same way. Is he? Yeah. Yeah. And I have had way more success blind calling than I have. I've killed deer that I've called at, obviously. <laughs> well, um, it, I think it comes down to confidence in your spot, frankly. Sure. You know, those guys, The you know, and I understand the, um, the thought is that you don't want to tip them off to anything being there. You, sure. you just want to encounter natural movement and be com- a complete surprise. Yes. You know, whereas anytime you call, you know, they're aware of something. Yeah. And maybe it brings them in. Maybe it pans out. Maybe it doesn't. Um, so, so that would be the argument for not calling. Is, that makes sense. Because most of the spots I hunt are less favorable, I would say. Just because of it's big woods or, um, you know, it's a big area that they could cross from. So I'm trying to attract them to a tighter yeah. point in the in the section. Well, that think about it. Yeah, I mean... In a bow hunting situation, ca- calling is your is the only way to extend your range yes. significantly. Yes. You know, if you're not in the perfect spot, like it may, you know, you can still call at them and bring them in. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So that's, yeah, it's, it's extremely effective. And both, both of them guys, I mean, at least Bill, I know, has killed a lo- most of his deer have not been right in front of the stand. Mm-mm. Like he called them in. Yep. You know, especially, I mean, during the rut anyways. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's a weird thing. Cause I, you know, I guess I, it's also probably how you grew up and how, I, like, I grew up, you know, rattling and grunting at I gotta nothing. T- I got to <laughs> tell, you, <laughs> I gotta you, tell you, as of today, uh, November 7th, I don't think that I've called in a single deer this year. Really? Yeah. For sure have not rattled one in. Yeah. I mean, I have not hunted a ton so far this year, but I rattled <clears throat> in that buck I killed in Illinois as well as several other bucks, and then I rattled in a buck yesterday that I fucked up on. Yeah. Oh, you rattled him in? And grunted him in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and so, well, here, we can talk about that a little bit if you sure. want. Yeah. Sure. Sure. <laughs> Just yeah. bring it up. Yeah, mm-hmm. messed up. Um, the Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Hoyt Archery. Oh, dude, it's almost fall. You and I are both going to be in a tree stand with brand new Hoyt bows. We're going to be shooting the RX-7 carbon bow this year. I know Hoyt's also got the Venoms out, both equally smooth shooting quiet bows. Heck yeah, man. We got a convert on our hands this year. We got a lifelong crossbow guy with a vertical bow in his hands for maybe the first time ever, a good friend of mine. And uh, we've got them all decked out with uh, the inline accessories uh, from the QAD integrated ultra rest uh, to the quiver. And also he's got the SL sidebar mount with a couple of stabilizers from Hoyt as well. So that's going to be a six shooting bow. Yeah. And Hoyt's been cool enough that anyone listening to this can save 20% on any of the soft good apparels online using the code HUNTER, H-U-N-T-R, no E. Uh, and if you want to look at the latest lineup of Hoyt bows, check out your local Hoyt dealer. Get serious, get Hoyt. Yeah, so I, I, we were talking about, so you're leaving actually tonight to go back to Illinois. 
like from here. Yep, from here. Um, and so and, and people can look forward to. Uh, dad, dad agreed to. We're gonna do a, a live pod with the dads in Kansas. I think we're it's live, right? Yes, we're gonna do live pod as long as the internet lets us. As long as the internet lets us, so we'll have the dads on and not like the internet, but the connection of internet. Right, 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 right. Oh, the connection <laughs> the will be on. <laughs> we'll be vibing for yeah, sure. We'll yeah, get some yeah. course banquet rolling. And, yeah. And, so, and we'll jump on. So, but yeah, after, so right after this, I'm going to pack up the stuff and, and yeah. I'm rolling to Illinois from here. Yeah, we'll so. talk. So you're going to Illinois. So uh, I'm, I effectively only have a gun tag left in Illinois. So I'm not going. Mm-hmm. Um, my Ohio place is getting logged. Uh, so I could hunt it. I still see some deer, but it's kind of under distress. Uh, I'm going to be hunting Kentucky in later November. So I basically said I was just going to hang around home and, and hunt this week, you know, just get ready for our Kansas trip that we'll talk about here in a second. So um, the weather has been not great. Um, yeah, it's warm. warm. It's been warm. So low pressure stuff. Yep. Anytime it's warm like that, I always kind of eyeball my mornings um, for, for hunt opportunities. Yesterday, so it would have been Monday the 6th. Um, it was like 30 degrees in the morning in, in Pennsylvania. Yeah. One of the colder mornings that we're going to have until I think Friday. So I've got, um, I've got one buck that I have been hunting behind my house for several years. In fact, I showed Nick this morning. Looks like his nutsack got ripped off. Like really? It doesn't look good. I'll show you a video. Recently? Yeah. Like within the last couple of days. What? Yeah. How can you see that? Uh, it's on a video of him walking away. And it looks oh. like it's like hanging. Let me see it. You what do you, the, what would uh, that movie Bad Grandpa? Yeah, where it's like hanging it out of his shorts. Oh no! Yeah, <laughs> he he looks hurt. He's hurting too, which oh. makes me think about. We're gonna talk about get this. Your nuts uh, ripped off? We're, no. we're gonna talk about this deer here in a second. So Nick, I, I'm sorry. Yeah, let me see. While he's showing me this. Oh. Yeah, something. He's got a, little, a weird limp to him. I would too. Oh, can <laughs> yeah. you imagine? Here, Nick, I'll ask you this. My, my uncle likes to ask this question. So, I forget what the exact distance is, but they say the the strand that connects your nutsack to your body is like twenty foot long. Okay, Wait, so what? there's that much, like uh, whatever. Like, yeah, condensed. If it's all stretched mm-hmm. out, it's yeah, 20 yeah, feet. Yeah, like twenty feet long. It's long. So in theory, you could take one of your nuts and set it on a log, you know, let's call it 15 feet away, 15, 20 feet away. So the question is, if it's over there and somebody somebody gives it a a flick, do you feel it over there or do you feel it over here? I think you'd feel it over there. (laughs) I don't know. Oh, I don't know. So anyways, I don't. um, I guess we'll never know. Yeah, I hate seeing that for that guy too, but uh, so I have that buck. I've been hunting him for a few years. I've got like a four-year-old Dude, nine speaking point. speaking of nuts, that buck that you shot in Kansas had some hellacious shot. testicles Dude, on it. Wouldn't him. even fit in my hands. Really? Yeah. Like Jeez. one of the first things I said, nice rack. Holy crap, look at these nuts. <laughs> Look like the bulldog from Van Wouter, like oh floating. God. They were giant. They were huge. That's that crazy. dude was ready to yeah. bust it. Mm. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was all rattled up for sure. There was going to be a doe that shot out like 45 <laughs> yards. <laughs> Scary movie up against the <laughs> ceiling. <laughs> oh, shit. Um, okay, so anyways, I've got several bucks back. So I only have tw- I have 28 acres to hunt by my house. So 
not not much room and uh, not much room for mistakes, unfortunately. So uh, got in there, I don't know, half hour before daybreak, settled in. Um, I was all, right off of a, a little food plot that I built back there. And then I've kind of got this real nice funnel uh, through hardwoods that these connect two bedding areas, basically. And so probably I was watching a raccoon for a while, distracted. It was probably right before shooting light. I could see enough in my food plot, um, but the woods were still a little dark. And I was like, you know, most of the activity I see because it's only 28 acres is like right at daybreak. And then it just like tanks off after that or in the evening. So uh, I, I was probably 612, which is give or take right around shooting light. Um, I, I rattle like pretty hardcore blind rattle. Don't nothing there. Um, I'm literally going to set the antlers back and like right behind me, like, and I'm like, oh shit. And I look and I could see him standing at like 20 yards behind me. And again, it's kind of dark in the woods, light enough that I'm like, that's a pretty good buck. Um, and I think he's looking at me, but I really think he was looking through me to the food plot. Um, cause he was kind of down the hill and the food plot sits up a little higher. So it looks like he was looking up at me, but I think he was looking through me. So I was able to get the antlers down and he starts walking towards me and I know what he's going to do. He's, we've t- he's going to go right under my tree. Uh, are you trying to like figure out what he is at that point? Yeah. Are I'm, you assuming that it's the big one or no, at this point I'm not assuming it's the big one. Cause I, that deer is a big enough frame that I'm like, that would be him. And so he walks directly under my stand and I look and I can see wide. He was darker and he, he was kind of heavy. Um, enough that I knew that it was at least three or four, but I didn't think it was the big one. I still don't think it is, especially now seeing the nut, nut video. Um, Has that, was that since the shot? No, that was the night before, mm. but just because of the way that he deer was moving, I would have noticed a limp or something. Mm-hmm. So he, I let him go. Uh, I don't have my bow in my hand either, but I let him go. I grab my bow and I let him walk through the food plot because I don't know what deer it is. Um, and why, I'm not. Why did you rattle so early? Uh, it was light enough that I could shot in the food plot, but not in the woods. Okay. On um, where I was, and and honestly, the way that the wind was blowing, I expected every deer to check the south side of this uh, or the north side of this bedding, and come from the food plot end. And of course he came from the other way. Mm. So yeah, in retrospect, messed up. I don't know why. Um, and so he goes to the other end of the food plot, makes a scrape and I had glassed him at this point and I could just like, it's probably 18 plus inches wide. Looks good. I enough that I'm like, I'm going to kill that deer. I think it was that buck that, uh, you got on the video the other day that, that, uh, we figured he was a three-year-old short, uh, G threes. I think it was him. Could be him, or it's I've got a four-year-old nine-point that's been there a lot. Okay. Um. So he makes a scrape. At that point, I'm like, I'll shoot this deer. So I I grunt at him. Isn't it funny that just even the percentage of people that don't know? Yeah. I, even the deer I shot in North Dakota, dude. It's like I I didn't know. Yeah. Didn't know. I knew it was a shooter, but I. Yeah. And I I mean, yeah. Once I realized it I was just ha- shoot it just, this, yeah, I was. Fast indicative of how fast it happens. Well, like, my brain to what we talked about earlier of like when am I going to shoot? What's his mannerisms? Like my brain's processing sixty five other functions at this point. Yeah, which is why I mess up. Uh, and so I watch him. He makes a scrape. I grunt at him. He looks. Goes back to making a scrape. I kind of give him a, a roar, and he just freaking turns and beelines right back to me pretty fast. How too. far is he when he's making a scrape? Uh, hundred yards. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, I let them go the whole oh, way across the field. Because I wanted it to get lighter. It's 100 so that, yards across the food plant? Mm-hmm. Holy cow. I got to see this thing. Yeah. It drops way down into this bottom now. Wow. Uh, and so he does exactly what I thought. He's going to, he's walking the edge of the food plot, winds coming out, And then I know he's, like I said, it's a corridor. He's going to dive down into this corridor. And he does. And as soon as he dives down, I compound draw. Compound bow. Yep. Compound. I draw back. I've got decent shooting lanes. Um, you know, good enough that like he walked in, he, he stopped faster than I thought when I gave him that, you know, and, uh, I, I had to kind of, I thought I was going to get another step out of him, And so I kind of had to come back and tuck it in and thump. And I mean, he mule kicked like all the, all the key signs. Uh, I texted you that I was like, Hey, shot a buck. He ran off for like 30 yards. stopped. I was still asleep. Woke up 20 minutes later. I thought you were hunting. No. And uh, I was like, <laughs> licking my wounds. I was like, okay, like fall over. Like it was one of those. He ran far enough that I was like, he's gonna fall over. And then he kind of just down over this ditch, and then it's like real hilly down there. Wait a half hour, get down, go over to the arrow, and I'm not impressed, or I'm not happy at all. Like it, um, not impressed. Yeah, I'm not impressed. Uh, kind of baffled at that point. Like it. Why? Just because what what was on the arrow, arrow looks good. It's just clean. It's almost clean. Like the the first part of the shaft is like just fatty, like just like you know, like a white streak fat. Then the <clears> the back <throat> part has a little bit of blood and just a little bit of blood on the veins and the lighted knock. Like not what I would have thought of when I I mean I was on the shoulder at twelve yards, like cavity wise. Yeah. So I'm like, what the fuck, you know? Uh, I didn't even look for blood. I just got out, and just backed out. Went back to the house for an hour, kind of like processing this in my head. And I'm like, man, it just, it seemed right. Like everything seemed good. Um, go back out after an hour. At what point had you noticed your dial yet? No, this is when I did. Okay. So when we go back out, I have my bow and I'm like, you know, always carry my bow in case I need a follow-up shot. Yeah. Um, and I go to adjust my dial to 20 because that's where I wanted to be. And I realize it's on 30 which is what I had it set for, for hunting that, that's that stand. And I'm like, like, God damn it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, now at this point, cause I, I told you, I thought I'm it, based on the arrow, it looked brisket or chest. Like I must have somehow with the angle or I hit something. Yeah. Initially you thought you hit yeah low. I, I was like, I'm, I went low. I don't know how. Why I did you think the, that? Cause of, just cause of the arrow. Only cause the arrow. Yep. Cause I've seen that, that look before people said, Hey, what does this arrow look like? I'm like, well, brisket, like it's fatty with a little bit of blood, but like that deer's not dying. Yeah. And that's what my arrow looked like. And so any white hair on it? Yeah. Really? Which was again, <laughs> I don't know. Um, and Is so it possible you hit him way forward. No, no, I don't think so. No, because I mean, it was, it, it looked again, I had a lighted knock. It looked like a, the right shot. Um, so the only thing I can think now is that I hit him high, which would make sense. Cause at that angle, it would look right. But if it went higher than I wanted it to, you know, still everything's up 12 yards. It's going to just, what do you think is the difference from 20 to 30 yards? Is it like Two, three inches? Yep, probably. Three, three, four inches? I haven't shot it. I'm going to shoot it today, but I bet it's two to three. Yeah. You know, and at that angle, two to three is going to make a difference, especially sure. if I wasn't on, like, hard. I was on, like, mid-body, which I probably was. Sure. Um, What's weird is if you did hit him high, it's like, where did that white hair come from? I don't know. Because the white hair is forward and it's down. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm not sure. Hmm. 
and then so we go back out. Uh, it's just Harlan and I walk like 10 yards and I'm like, holy shit. Like there's a lot of blood. So we followed it. Which which would be indicative of a low hit. You I, would think so. Yeah, I would think. But not with a 30-yard pin. It's impossible. usually on a high lung hit. It takes them a while to fill up before I mean, they start. I've tried to replay. And again, it, you know, it happens so fast. Like It's hard to replay it in your head. Also, how far he's gone would be indicative of a low hit, I think. I mean, dude, that the the way that that shot looked. Now, here's the only thing that, that I can't, and I, it's not an excuse. It's just I don't know. Is like there were limbs in my shooting lane. I could have clipped a limb and it, sure. it it knocked it down, but my arrow looked pretty look good. Looked pretty buried on the, you know, it didn't look like it hit funky or did anything weird. Um and so yeah, we were following blood and at one point cuz I kind of gave Harlan the speech of like, "Hey, listen, dad screwed up. Here's why, right? My dial's at 30. I shot this deer 12. I didn't change it. I showed him how it moved. Like, it was a good learning experience for me, too. Like, I He's messed like, up. Dad, you're an idiot. Yeah, you're an idiot. What's, what's wrong with you? And so I kind of told him, I was like, hey, we're going to go look. I was like, I, I said, we may find some blood, but, like, I don't I don't think this deer is dead based on every all these reasons. For what is, I'll throw this out, too, because a lot of guys have said, oh, you need a three-pin thing. Yeah. The, we're shooting the HHA, uh, whatever, the, the newer ones. Yeah, the Picatinny one. And it does have two pins on it. It does. And yep. so depending on your, um, probably the speed of your bow and stuff like that, mine's perfectly at 20 and 40. Yeah, mine mine's a little short. So mine's like 20 and 35, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and here's the other thing is, like, I, I like that clear sight window of a single pin more than the, the multi-pins. And we... Again, not that I'm saying we'll shoot. We practiced at 70, 80 yards, and that's tough with a multi-pin. Yeah. Um, it is. So, yeah, and I mean, it... Pros and cons. I mean, it's also a disadvantage that it's huge. Like, it, the pin needs moved. or I mean, that's where the two-pin is kind of a saving grace. Uh, you know, if, if there's a variability in, in yardage that you're shooting, it's like I know that directly between my two pins is 30, and then my second mm-hmm. pin is 40. So I don't really have to move my thing 40 and in. Yeah, at, at and all. I mean, I've... I do, but I've been shooting single pin for I don't know, eight. Yeah, eight, just what, what you like is what it comes yeah. down to. Yeah, and I, you know, it's the first time I I messed up. It it just it's on me. It it's happens. A, it's dude. a user error. So we we follow blood, um, and I mean at probably fifty or sixty yards, I was like, hey man, we're you know just stick behind me because any of these little knobs, he's probably gonna because this year's pouring blood. I mean, I couldn't believe it. It was the it's the easiest blood trail I followed in a long time. Like your dad's deer blood in in Kansas, way more than that. Super. Like I'm just walking and I could see it out in front of me, just painted. And like every knob we get to, I'm like, nope, not there, not there, not there. We finally get cleared out in the creek. We're 280 yards into this search, and there's like a little thicket on the other side of the creek, and then the main road. And um, I'm out of property basically at that point. And so I was like, I'm gonna back out. I had Emily drop me off down at the bottom to come in. So if he was along the creek, I pushed him back into my property. If he was still alive, got in there, walked a couple feet, found the blood trail on the other side of the creek. Literally, I, I've got a picture. I could see the blood trail cross the two-lane highway. Like I saw him bleeding across <laughs> the two-lane highway. So now in Pennsylvania, you have to have permission to go look for that deer. Even if I call the game warden, he can't take me across unless they give me permission. Um, fortunately, the first yard was a game warden's house. Uh, he just, yeah. So we texted him and he was like, yeah, man. He's like, go for it. So I followed blood trail into his yard. Interesting. You got a neighbor uh, that's a game warden? Yeah, I think he lives in Greene County now, though. Oh. But he owns that house. Oh, okay. Um, I think he rents it. And then the next property... 
the next two properties, like no permissions. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I spent the majority of the day trying to get a hold of. They were no's or just no. You couldn't get a hold of them. Can't get a hold of them. So I can't still can't. Yeah. Mm. And um, so I mean, and at that point, I'm 550, 560 yards in, and I mean, the blood. I sent you some of the pictures. Like the blood's. I mean, it's lung blood. It looks like at least. We're kind of at a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of it. A lot of it. I mean, I couldn't believe. And and so at that point, 500 plus yards in, I've not found a bed yet, which is discouraging. But it's also like I'm completely puzzled. Like I'm whether I hit high or low, I know that I definitely hit lung, uh, and he's bleeding a lot. I couldn't. I don't understand why that deer never. And I don't think I ever pushed him. Like I didn't. I got out of there. Um, like he, the fact that he crossed that road to go back up into this mountain, it's literally a mountain on the other side of the road. I have no idea. Like just, just kind of beyond me. So again, no answer on permission. I can't go look. Um, so I, I it was kind of like, well, what about drone? And it's like, this would be, this is a perfect case. Yeah. Cause my hope is that was the first thought. Yeah, my hope is, it, and this is, I get it, right? If you live in Pennsylvania, landowners in Pennsylvania are weird, man. Nobody wants you on your property. Like, they just they just don't. Uh, it's not farm country where I'm at. I'm in suburban America, basically. Um, and, and obviously, it's peak rut. Like, they don't want me gridding their property. I wouldn't, you know, I'd let somebody on it, but I wouldn't be happy about them having to grid my property. Well, nobody wants people on their property. I mean, I I'm, I feel like if you'd gotten a hold of those people, I mean, chances are most people are going to say yes. Yep. Yeah, some people will, yeah, will not. But. So, uh, and again, it's on me. Like, if I made the right shot, that deer doesn't go that far, and I'm I'm not in this situation. But you know, it is what it is. So, um, Tyler from Skyhound Deer Recovery had wrote us previously, uh, and basically offered to drive the three hours to my house to look. So that's like all. You know, this is at like one o'clock or so. Uh, and he's like, Hey, it has to get dark. So the air temperature drops and the thermal uh, signature will pick up on that deer. It was funny to be in that situation. Cause the first thing we, you know, we have to ask her, we're like, is it legal here? It's legal. Yeah. Right? And, and we're like, I don't know. We're like, well, text, text Mike Yoder. We just had him on, you know? And, yep. um, and also ask that guy. And then you, I, mean, I texted wardens yeah, that I called, knew. called a couple. Called, right? I called the game commission headquarters office of which really nice lady answered. And I gave her the situation and she said, no. And I said, no, like, I can't use it at all. No, I can't use it. She's like, they're illegal. You cannot use them. And I said, mm-hmm. where, I said, where's that listed at? And she's like, well, in the definition of hunting, recovering that deer is covered, which is a gray area. Um, and so I then texted some of the wardens I know. Um, so maybe, maybe spell that out a little bit too. So like, <laughs> this is where we're drawing the line between hunting and recovering. You know, is there a difference? Is there not? And we get what, it. What she's saying is that the state of Pennsylvania defines recovery as an aspect of the hunt. You know, ergo, you cannot use a drone for the recovery. And in the definition it's the where it's covered is there is a, a specific call out to tracking of wildlife of what she's saying. The drone locating is tracking of the wildlife. Mm. I yeah. get it. You know, well, um, that left us wondering, like, okay, well, whose call is that? Like, who, oh. who, who do we, who can we call to give us a the gray uh, of the gray interpretation areas. of this law? Like, so there is no no but a lawyer or a judge. From what I ended up like later in the evening, because I just talked to so many people, they basically said it's up to your local warden and the judge who's going to put you in court. And 
obviously like we don't want to be in court for this thing like i'm right. not going to make i, I want to do everything i can to recover this deer sure. a lot of people suggested dogs which are legal in pennsylvania the problem is i don't have access to even permission yeah i don't have even permission to walk on it let alone take a dog on it right so i mean you're, you're shit well, out of luck well that's the advantage of a drone over a dog is that's that you it, don't man. need permission to fly a drone over a property. over 100 feet so if you can go and airspace. find it i mean dude if you came to me if i owned the property and i was a hunter and i wanted to not go trudging through there during rut i would almost suggest to you i'd be like dude listen get hire get drone, drone throw it up if you guys can find it I'm, let's go get it i'm all for it yeah, it would cost me 400 bucks plus travel which i was i was more than willing to all i wanted to know is i, I didn't care if the deer was still alive like if he was alive and he was going to survive it it's just peace of mind at yeah. that you owe it to the deer to figure yeah. that out well and with blood like that i mean we i we got to believe that thing's dead yeah i i 100 believe yeah. i'm still gonna even you know later this week sure. and i hate it because the meat and stuff's not sure. gonna be if there i've wrote a couple of these guys on Facebook and I said, Hey, listen, if you see buzzards or anything like that, if you're cool with me going up there, like, just let me look real quick. Yeah. Um, so the thought process is if I could get that drone in there and locate the deer, let's say he is dead, found the deer, he's dead. I can go to those landowners and this time say, Hey, I don't need walking permission. Like literally he's right here. You could go with me. We know exactly where he's at in and out, clean extraction. Don't worry. And they could still tell me no, but at that point, I've done everything I can. So the bottom line is it comes back in that in Pennsylvania, there is a statute around hunting that includes electronic devices. And it's a basically, if it's not included, it's a legal list. Uh, and transparently, I've ran into this in Missouri too. So when, when I lived in Missouri, right, I used trail cameras on public land, fully admitted. Uh, they were apparently illegal. Now they are for sure illegal. They've made the statement. But back then it was- and they were illegal because they weren't- they weren't on the list. There was, yeah. Because they weren't on the list, it was illegal. Right. They've now made that... Uh, the precedent being, if we haven't written a law for to include it, yeah. it's just assume it's illegal. And, and everybody <clears throat> that I've talked to is fully aware and admitting that it's just, they can't keep up with the changing... Uh, evolution of technology on the enforcement side of it. So on the saying, enforcement, you know, side. the game commission, you know, uh, whoever's creating the policies, which the, is legislators, the, trans the technology is evolving too quickly for us to, you know, yep. make laws about. It's the same thing you're seeing with like uh, regulation of um, of uh, technology companies. Of, oh, like, absolutely. Of Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Absolutely. You know, Can't it, keep up fast enough. Right, right, right. So, so, uh, bottom line was. Um, I did what the law said, which is I called off uh, Tyler at Skyhound and said, hey, man, I, I appreciate you wanting to come out here. Um, as well, much funny, both the drone guys were like, yeah, I, they, bo they both were like, yeah. So because Mike texted me back and was like, uh, they're not legal. He, they're not lawyers. They said it's not illegal. Yes. I forget exactly what he said. Because yeah. it's not stated. Yeah, but then also said, I, I'm not yeah. I'm not giving legal advice, which, yeah. yeah, probably has to say that. Which I think by the terms of service, and I don't blame them, it's liability, right? They're waiving themselves 100%. to all liability. Yeah, so it would be on me. And um, So then you're faced with the question, do I do what's... At, well, there's, there's different, you know... Uh, uh, perspectives on what's ethical because it's, it's not ethical to trespass it's not ethical to go on somebody else's pro it's not it's not no but it's it also not ethical to yeah. let a deer in that you know i know is, which i do i was sick over i was sick over the fact that I, it, it had gone that far i was sick over the fact that i knew that deer was probably dead or dying right um you know at whatever 10 o'clock in the morning um and it was just you know there's nothing else i can do my hands are tied i've tried everything to get 
access. I've tried to get a drone up there. Like you can't do it, you know? And, and a lot of the people I've talked to have said, man, we kind of wish somebody would just do it and get caught. So it goes to court and then a precedence is set. And, <laughs> and you're like, it ain't going to be me. It ain't going to be me. <laughs> yeah. I, as much as I want to recover this deer and I owe it to that deer, I like, I can't, I can't do it. Right. Um, here was what was really funny though, is so like, dude, once you stoke a fire like that, like I'm on a roll. So I start looking more and I get into, um, these electronic devices of which include range finders, et cetera. I'm talking to a warden. I said, Hey, let me ask you a question. And there's electronic devices, uh, that state these are legal to use. I said, are trail cameras in there? He said, no. Hmm. I said, there's millions of them out in Pennsylvania. He's like, well, he's like, then it comes back to like, are trail cameras aiding in the hunt? Yes, they are. Yeah. What do you think? Absolutely uh, are. He's uh, like, well, you can make an argument that traditional cameras can't cause it's in retrospect. And I was like, okay, well then cell cameras for sure are. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, so you're telling me that all of these people, including myself are using trail cameras that by Pennsylvania's electronic law are not legal and everybody's cool with it. But the drone that is in the exact same position as the trail camera is a complete no is the moment I call headquarters. I said, that that's not right. I said, dude, you guys got to figure out your black and white shit real fast. Yeah. That is super interesting. Well, I mean, that's the reality. It's like, it's, it's, yeah. I mean, I think the enforcement officers want to pretend a lot of times like things are black and white and it's like, not really. Well, and we get it, right? I mean, the, the bottom line is, is there are several bad apples out there who will misuse a thermal drone and ruin it for everybody, right? I mean, it, we know what they're going to do. And, yeah. Anybody under the right circumstances will, will misuse technology. I mean, I mean, it, I know there's, I know there's been cases already where people have been using it to scout for bears in cornfields. Uh, to determine if they're going to drive out the cornfield for bear season and stuff earlier this year, and they got caught. Yeah. And those are the guys who screwed up for everyone. Of course, as soon as that happens, the state legislature is like, yeah, these are illegal. We can't use them mm-hmm. because somebody abuses them. This also coming from a state that allows spotlights to 11 p.m. as long as there's not a, a weapon in your vehicle, mm. which here's another thing, by the way. Uh, if you track a deer past 11 p.m. with the use of lights, it's illegal. Really? Because it's only up till 11 p.m., including the spotlight side. And you can't have a weapon with you either. Interesting. So if you're tracking a buck, like if you hit a buck at dark and you're like, Why oh, I'm going to come back. Do they only patrol till 11 p.m.? No, that's, that's the law. Yeah. Has nothing to do with patrolling and enforcing. That's the law. I got to believe at some point there was a thought as to, hey, why do, when do we end this? I'm sure. The same reason they end it. There's no spotting during the gun season, correct? Correct. Yeah. During yep. the archery season? During archery season, yes. You can, yeah. Yep, as long as you don't have a weapon in your vehicle till 11 p.m. makes sense. But yeah, uh, uh, if you're tracking a deer at night... You have to wrap it up at 11 p.m. And if you have your, your bow with you, it's illegal. Y- yeah. Well, yeah, it would be illegal because you can't shoot them over spotlight at night. I just think I, it's funny. I, to, I'm just saying this because there's a lot of us that, you know, just think about the common alleys. Think of shooting a buck right at dark yeah. and you're going to find it. Like, do you leave your bow at the house? I'm sure most people get out of the tree stand. And they carry their bow right to the deer. Well, it's funny. I mean, uh, speaking of gray area and I mean, imagine those two scenarios where, you know, you could just say, hey, so-and-so shot a deer under spotlight. Yep. It, first thought is like, oh boy, wow. That's wow. a serious offense, you know. But the reality could be like, hey, that's a super ethical hunter that, you know, shot that deer at last light and they know it was a questionable uh, 
hit, so they take their weapon with them, and, and maybe an hour or two hours after dark, they they the deer requires another uh, yeah, arrow. Yeah, that's illegal. To put them down. It's, yeah, it's... It, well, and that's where you have to draw the line somewhere, like... Uh, and it's because people ruin it for everybody else. Well, yeah. Dude, it's people the are abuse, people. It's you... the abuse of the law side of it. I, I mean, it, it just comes down to, like, there's a lot of... I, and I get it. Obviously, talk to me about thermal drones two years ago. I wouldn't even know what the hell you were talking about, right? Like, it's 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 the rapid evolution of some of this stuff, but there's some archaic laws in place, including this. I mean, the fact that trail cameras haven't been updated on that electronic list for Pennsylvania is ridiculous. Mm. So like there's some archaic laws that have, I mean, then again, this is coming from a state that we can't hunt most Sundays either. So, um, you know, you just, you got to stay up with some of these things. I think that's where, you know, a Mike Rex and at Ohio DNR has done a really good job. I know Missouri's updated a lot of things lately. So it's there are a lot of states that are keeping it. It's just, I mean, this goes back to who who is the master puppeteer here, and it's the legislature, and they just move at a different pace, right? They're going to argue for yeah. six months and then say, yeah, this this isn't passed. We're not going to make that amendment. Yeah, I mean, I guess I can see both sides of it. Like, yeah, I think it's ridiculous. The trail cameras haven't necessarily, but see, and, and I don't know. It's not like I'm tracking these issues on a daily basis. Maybe, maybe it has come up, and then they've considered, well, we should sure. put it on this list, or maybe there's some reason for that, but. There's also there's also a lot of shit that these people got to deal with. Like, and I'm not oh too much. I, Those enforcement guys, though. Well, I just, no, like, I'm just saying in in general, it's yeah. like you know the world's kind of going to <laughs> going to shit anyway. Yeah. You know, so it's you know, so in one sense you could say, oh, man, how have they not accounted for trail cameras and drones? But the other sense is like, hey, maybe, maybe they have more important things going on. And yeah. So I, I can extend grace in that aspect, but yeah, certainly I think it, it deserves attention. You know, I mean, it, it it should be kept up with. Yeah. Um, the Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Muddy. Man, Jared, we probably have been using Muddy products for at least 10 years now. It's a long time, dude. It's been a long time. And I can remember when it was simply just safety harnesses and camera arms of all things. And, you know, that's evolved to where you and I both have a bunch of Muddy box blinds as well. I would say a bunch. But, yeah, they, they've come a long way. And certainly the box blinds are, are huge. Shot that buck over your shoulder out of a Muddy box blind a couple of years ago. The harness and, and all of the other safety accessories really are, are a major component of, of what Muddy offers for me um, you know we've had some injuries in the past you know some, some tree stand accidents this, this is all back before we were using uh, you know frankly harnesses uh, the lineman's belt while we're hanging stuff and the safe lines I have those in every single one of uh, you know our fixed tree stands now and uh, so we really have made safety a priority uh, that that's a big deal for us and uh, you know muddy has everything we need for that yeah and I think uh, the cool thing about muddy is anyone listening to the hunter podcast can save 20 percent using the code hunter 20 that's h-u-n-t-r-2-0 uh, anything that you can see on the Muddy Outdoors store online, use that code. Save yourself 20% for this hunting season. Go Muddy. So anyways, yeah, uh, long way around that. But I, I've had a lot of people ask, like, what, what do I do next? Um, I'm, I'm a bit shit out of luck at this point. Um, so I'm gonna, I've been keeping on getting permission. So transparently, one... One property I have a really good chance of getting access to. Uh, the other property, the owners, I think, have both recently passed. And I don't know if their son has it or if it's in an estate. It's been a, it's been a mess trying to get access to it. Um, so I don't know about that one. The other one I do think I'll get access to. Uh, and I'm basically out of kind of just... I guess respect for my for the animal and possible recoveries. I'm just gonna sit on my buck tag for a while and in Pennsylvania and 
hopefully get access and try to, I mean, with as warm as it's going to be, there'll be buzzards and stuff on that deer pretty quickly and coyotes. So I'm hoping maybe even by, we're filming this on Tuesday, maybe Thursday, being able to try to get out there and at least, you know, eye for buzzards or something. I can see the ridge from my front porch where the deer ran to. Um, So if I can see buzzards or anything over there, um, maybe I'll be able to get access. And then, yeah, at some point, then, you know, I've kind of done all all I can on it. So, yeah. Um, and then also just kind of see, uh, again, see if I can figure out which deer it actually was, um, from my cameras. Cause I'm not sure. I had one buck show up last night that I rolled out. It was, um, I think he's probably a four, uh, like a three, I think he's a three year old eight point. Um, he showed up last night, so it wasn't him. Um, could have been a completely different buck, right? It's, it was November 6th too. So you never know, but, um, yeah, it sucks. Uh, again, uh, user error on my side for, for not changing that and, and, uh, you know, not taking my time. And that was a first for sure. Um, probably won't be the last, but you know, it happens. I mean, dude, it, it happens fast. Like things can fall apart so quickly. Like it's amazing how you you can just, you know, mentally prepare yourself for a hunt or whatever. And then, uh, you go through all these like, uh, steps to make sure that you're ready, you know, Mm -hmm. practicing with your bow all season. And it's like, what, it's like the minute you see that buck, it's like things do just things happen. Like yeah, start you, to fall. you drop stuff, you squeak stuff, you, you, yeah. you know, I felt good about everything, you know, the, 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 and you know, I shot at a coyote the other day, dude. And I shot with my 40 yard pin. Like, yeah. What am I doing? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just like, and I pra- practice like more than, I know, you know, yeah, it's, uh, you know, the hardest part I think for me is that like, and you know, this from my trail, like I'm a bloodhound. And so like I had a really easy follow for 500 and some yards, um, given the chance to be able to keep going, I, I would attract them for a mile. I don't care. Um, but, but I couldn't. And that's the disadvantage of having 28 acres is like you run out of ground pretty quick. (laughs) Like you make a shot, you run out of ground pretty quick before you have to recover them. And, um, you know, there was a property that's behind me that if you ran up into, um, there I've already talked to him. I'm, I'm pretty much a go to recover anything on there. I can't believe that deer across the two lane highway. I can't freaking believe that he did it, but he did it. And, um, yeah, just kind of is what it is. And like I said, I'll keep looking and keep people updated, but, um, yeah, not, not how I thought the, the day was going to go when I found all that blood, but as they say, that's bow hunting. That is bow on. Probably would have killed him with a crossbow. Should okay. Been crossbow. Let all the trolls out now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I am, uh, I, I'm just really surprised that, and the man, it just goes to show how tough these freaking animals are. Like, I, that deer bled so much. I cannot believe he didn't lay down. Yeah. And I could, I could get it if I was on his trail, like, right away and I was bumping him. But, I mean, there's nothing to spook them unless, unless something got on them. Like I do have coyotes and stuff. Like unless something else bumped them, I, you know, I don't understand why that deer kept pushing as far as he did. Cause he went into some thick stuff and he didn't lay down, which seems really counterintuitive to a hurt deer. You remember that, uh, low heart hit that Winky had several years ago? I think so. I remember watching that and, and his, you know, uh, 
his approach was contrary to like what a lot of people say or would think is give give him time. He pushed him. He his thought on that was well, it's a heart, it's a low heart hit, and I don't want it to heal basically yeah. to you know clot up Pump or whatever. It open. I want to keep he's like even if I am pushing the deer and it requires you know acreage or yeah whatever my disadvantage to do that. Do you know? Did he ever get that deer? I think so. He did. I do think so. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to know what to do in that scenario because it's like, man, for sure, if the deer is going to, to bed up and mm-hmm. die, then you obviously want to just give them space. Which the, is what I, I, I mean, I thought he was going to tip at 30 yards. Then obviously seeing my arrow, I had my second doubts. But like when I found the blood, like yeah, there was no doubt. I even told Harlan, I was like, hey, man, I, I said, this is pure luck. Like we're going to find this deer and it, but it's not because of that I made a great shot and stuff. I just got lucky. Yeah. And then, like, we're just continuing. I mean, I had him in front of me for part of it. I'm like, hey, just follow blood. And it's just, he's just like, yep, here's blood, here's blood, here's blood. Like, it was was super easy. And then, like, every time we would get around one of these kind of nooks to where it would drop down on the bottom and that deer's not there, I'm like, what the hell? I just didn't didn't compute, which, you know, I mean, if... No disrespect to like a two or three year. Most of those young bucks, I think, would have would have thrown in the towel and laid down at some point. Those mature bucks are just freaking tough, dude. Yeah, they just don't want to. They don't want to handle that. Yeah. So well, and they're all redded up too, so they're just yeah, straight adren- adrenaline. Yeah, half the time you shoot them things, and they just they yeah, don't, they don't care. They're like, I'm gonna keep going. That hurt, but I'm gonna keep going. And they're like, oh yeah, yeah. So I don't, uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, again, I played over again. Obviously. You know, had I adjusted my dial, that deer probably would have went down in 30 yards. Um, you know, but in retrospect, that's how it was. And, and I followed everything that I could for as long as I could. And, you know, hopefully uh, buzzards or whatever, I'll have a chance to get up there and, and find them here. Yeah, I mean, it sucks, but I think you did everything that uh, you did everything right. You know, I mean, <laughs> not everything right, but you did everything you could to follow yeah. up on the shot. You know, it's there's nothing you can. I was do really. To I was really excited to see the drone recovery in in action. Not yeah. that I ever think that it would be on my own deer. Well, and probably optimistic that you're like, this is this thing's found. Well, like, you told me you're like, yeah, it, dude. If he's there, they'll find him. Yeah, which is awesome because I'm like, great. It, even if he's alive, I just want to know. What's the other say? Within a thousand yards of yeah. last blood, so and you'd already followed. Oh, it dude, I knew I knew yards. exactly where I I knew exactly where either that last blood was or where that deer was going to be. Um, and so I'm like, yeah, they're going to find this deer and I'll at least know, and, and let's say they even found him dead. If I can't get access to him, I at least, I did everything I possibly could to recover that sure. deer. And so now there's this kind of gap there where I still feel like I did everything I could, but it's just, there's the unknown. Whereas like with that drone, I would at least known he's dead. He's alive. He's not there. Whatever. Like I told Tyler, I was like, Hey dude, even if you comb that area and you're like, I can't find him. I'm like, well, maybe the shot wasn't as good as I thought. It is funny to consider like all the the different regulation and stuff, and that's where I, I extend some grace, I think, to to the wardens and, and to you know people making laws and stuff. It's like sure, there's so many different scenarios. Sure, imagine a scenario where drones are legal and you find oh. you find the deer on another person's property, but they can still deny you access to go get it. I know they could. Yep, and like in some senses, like I I can understand that. Like let's say you know, the neighborly relationship has reached a point where it's like, listen, yeah, these guys shoot deer every other day and they're, mm-hmm. they all die on my, pro- always die. Yeah, I get it. Do you continue to allow it or, you know, but on the, on the flip side, it's like, man, if you shot a deer and it's for sure dead and you know exactly where it's at, like they should be able to go recover that deer. I, I feel. Well, and I, I think that the gray area that you both, both of us are on is like, let's say 
they would have came out if it was legal. They came out, they found that deer, he's alive. Now it's on me to decide is it ethical and legal to go and up to that deer to shoot him again or not. The answer is no. So hard. Um, but but morally, uh, you probably want to, to, to put that deer out of its misery to, to kill it. But from a legality standpoint, it's not legal. Once that deer is located by that drone, if you go up and shoot it, it is illegal. You have now used that in the, the aid of a hunt. Yep. Um, and that's true. That is that is that the is the law. It, it's How, just yeah. Where's the moral and the ethics <laughs> come in versus the legality come in? And you know, unfortunately, I guess I don't I don't have to make that decision. But I know a lot of people have had to make that decision, and and I'm sure a lot of people have gone and shot them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just scratching my head. I'm not leaving. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not fucking leaving. Uh. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of people, and I I don't blame them because I mean, yeah. Yeah. The hard part is is that maybe 90% of hunters would always appreciate and use that correctly. The 10% who abuse it, screw it up for everybody else. Just like anything in what the world. What do you world. mean abuse what? If it was if the the legality of using a drone to locate that deer. 90% of people would How use would they it. Misuse it? They'd use it for finding the deer to hunt. They'd scout them and be like, oh, there's that buck. I'm going to go in and kill him. Or there's that bear. I'm going to go in and kill him. One that's been hit already. No, no, no. <laughs> Just like use of the drone to hunt. Which is really tough for whitetails. I mean, that would be a really hard thing to do. I mean, it would be what, hard what, what to What is knowing where the deer... I mean, yeah, maybe you could go get in a stand knowing that he's in a... But, yeah. I mean... I don't think the opportunity like is as high as like what you said for driving a field out of a bear's end. Sure. Like, that's pretty obvious... He's there. We're going to go drive him out. Well, I mean, if you're... Um, or a hit deer. You know I mean? That's where it's a really great... Yeah, area. I mean, like, whitetails hey, are just there, are super about. mobile, so it's hard. But, I mean... Also super, like, you're not going to stop Well, I one. mean, from rumors that I've heard from some of the law enforcement is that people are using thermal drones, and they're then using uh, cell phones to call their buddies and guide them to them. Like, they're watching their buddies and telling them where these deer are and stuff to get in a, in a position to kill them. Yeah. I mean, obviously that's illegal, but I mean, and so those are the, those are the things that people are doing that are preventing the 90% of us who would love to have that as a opportunity to use. Um, we can't because these 10% are screwing it up. Yeah. Well, and that's always going to be the case. I mean, there's, and that's why they'll never make it legal in my opinion. Never make it legal. And yeah. That's, that's the position I got is like, we either can do this or we can do this, but we have to be black and white. And if we do this, there's going to be a bunch of people that abuse it. Um, I did ask, not switching subjects too much, but I did ask about, you know, just it, we're into the heat of season and stuff uh, about baiting. <sighs> Crazy, man. In Pennsylvania, how many people are baiting? It's off the charts. You would, you asked a warden? Mm-hmm. I just said, hey, I said, how, I said, you know, I see people coming out of Rural King all the time with deer corn. And I said, <laughs> I don't think they're going to West Virginia or Ohio to put it out. Like they're using it in Pennsylvania. I said, how, how bad is our baiting issue in Pennsylvania? He said, off the charts. He said, we probably catch 5% of the people. And the only people that we catch is because a hunter who abides by the law reports somebody else. Right. He said, other than that, how would you catch them? Yeah. You don't. Yeah. He said, but yeah, we probably catch 5% of the people that are actually baiting out there. Yeah. Well, I told you I, when I was dropping your hide off and stuff the other day, I was just talking with Trav, you know, he sees a lot of deer come in. I mean, he's, you know, so I really, uh, I think he's got a, you know, really good perspective of like kind of what's happening, at least in our area of yeah. Ohio. I'm like, dude, what kind of quality of deer are coming in? What kind of age, you know, what kind of weapons are they getting killed with and stuff? And 
uh, was really interesting to, and I speculated that it would be the case, but he confirmed, he's like, dude, at least 90% of the deer that come in are off corn piles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at least 90. He's wow. like, he's like, at least 70 of them have like corn in their mouth, like, cause they can't, they came out for everybody. <laughs> so they know, they know, they can tell. Right? I mean, do you think, um, and I'm, I assume it just varies by area, but let's use Pennsylvania, for example, and in, in the illegal 90%. Dating. Can you do I'm sorry to I mean, I, yeah, 90%. It's legal. Almost it, it almost like you could so go so far as to say is like there's no hunting in Ohio anymore. It's the, you're just basically baiting and and killing. I mean that, it, that, that's it, what's left. Because it's legal and because it's one of the easier means to attract deer. Yeah, no, I'm I'm not surprised. Yeah, no nor am I. Yeah. I was wondering in Pennsylvania in a state that's it it's you know illegal to use it. How how much more effective is bait when people are illegally using it? substantially um, like do you i guess what i'm saying is like yeah, let's say know, in ohio like here's a block of a thousand acres everybody's baiting these deer are kind of still equally distributed per the bait in pennsylvania where there's a thousand acre block and maybe there's one guy breaking the law i would assume his bait pile is way more effective depends on the size of the bait pile i guess like how how often how you sure. know how much what it is and I mean, I've killed sure deer. It doesn't hurt their We've killed deer on the mountain multiple times. I think I killed one too that I found corn in, and there isn't a freaking corn filled within three miles of us. Yeah. You know, and so, yeah, there's, it, it just, I wanted to hear it from law enforcement that I wasn't on drugs, that it's, and it, you can't blame them, but like, it's because it's freaking sold at every store readily available. Deer corn right in the front aisle, Rural King or Tractor Supply. It's like, dude, this is illegal. You can't use this. Yeah. And yeah, it's crazy. I don't, uh, is that an industry issue? Like, is the industry pushing that to say, Hey, sell my whatever record rack deer corn or whatever it is. I mean, the stores, you know, just, you know, they're going to sell whatever they can sell. Right. It's, I mean, should you be allowed to sell something that's illegal to use? <laughs> I don't know. It's a fair question. Cause you could buy it there and take it somewhere else and that's legal. So how can you tell somebody what they can sell or, or can't sell? But I used to have the same issue with muzzleloaders. Like when, before this whole, uh, early season inline muzzleloader thing and stuff, there was a period where it was only flintlocks. Mm-hmm. Um, and they would sell percussion cap muzzleloaders and dick sporting goods, especially. And I'm like, you, re- you realize that's illegal. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, can't use that. Like it has to be a flintlock after Christmas. And they're like, well, you know, if people buy them, they buy them. And it's like, right. it's illegal. Why would you sell it in a state that it's not legal to do? I don't know. I mean, what else is like that? That uh, are, are there other things out there that you can you, you can buy it in a state that it's illegal in? <laughs> Honestly, weed is one of the things that like... I, yeah, which I mean is very restrictive. I'm thinking of, but like I, you can't buy it in a state where it's not legal. I mean, the only other things I can think of is like, I know there's some states where... You can buy like beer at Walmart, but they don't do beer sales on a Sunday. So it's available on the shelf, but you can't check out with it. What states do that? <sighs> Pennsylvania would be one if if I had to guess. Uh, maybe. I, I want to say Missouri's one. Well, but that's new. Did you you Well, you couldn't buy you couldn't buy beer in any store in Pennsylvania. You had to go to like yeah. a six pack shop or distributor. It used to be so bizarre when I would go to Ohio. Yeah. And I would see beer in in the gas station. Sure. I'm like, what is this? Like Yeah. Because we come back home and, and you none go of to the a distributor beer. to buy a case of beer. Yeah, now sheets and everybody's got their beer, whole beer. That's half it's their business case. probably. Yeah. yeah. No, I think Missouri. I think it's Missouri. I think that's where I ran into it because I think I was out there and I was on a Sunday and I, I didn't know. I was like, oh, I'll buy beer because I again I hadn't been able to buy it in a grocery store and they're like, oh, it's Sunday and I'm like, what? Okay. 
I mean, but it was readily available on the shelf. You just couldn't check out with it. Yeah. Yeah. That's about all I can think of is is weed, alcohol, and deer corn. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I don't, obviously, like I, and I have, I've. I've what about uh, cell cameras? I bet you, like in Utah and stuff, but you can still buy cell cameras. Oh, I bet you can too. In the stores. I bought, um, well, so uh, in certain online stores, I know that if you put in your state that they can't sell certain things to you or they can't ship certain things to you. California is probably the the most notorious for that. Like we can't ship this to California. Um, but you could buy, you could technically buy it, but the moment your shipping address is in there, like you can't have it in that state. You can't use it. Mm. Um, what was the, it's cold air inductions, mm-hmm. the air filter. Yep. You we couldn't ship to California. You weren't, they weren't legal, but yeah. you could buy it in Arizona and then take it into California. Right. So yeah, I, and obviously, and I think I've done it. I've gone to Royal King and bought corn and taken it to my farm in Ohio. Sure. So like, I'm not saying that everybody's doing that, but the far, the vast majority of people that buying corn in Royal King and the middle of Pennsylvania is not taking it out of state. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. State lines are weird, dude. It's funny being in areas where time zones are right there. Where we hunted in North Dakota. Yeah. Literally, people could choose. If you were on it, Central it, or Mountain? Mm-hmm. Wow. So in the same town, you had people deciding <laughs> which time zone that they wanted to abide by. So they were constantly an hour wow. off in either direction. I bet school was a cluster at that Yeah, place. they're like, I don't uh, subscribe to this so time zone here. We'll be there at You eight. say I'm late. I say when I'm When I say hour eight, early. what I really mean is seven. <laughs> Your time. Yeah. So anyways, that's, you know, uh, I, I kind of, I think I ran it on Instagram a little bit about the drone thing, but... um you know, and again, it, it's, I'm taking blame for it, which is not easy for me. I don't take uh, faults very easily. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm just not a good good person with that. <laughs> but it, my wife will tell you that too. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's just because I, I try really hard at everything. So like if it messes up, like I'll admit it, but I don't like doing it. Um, and I this, mean, what do you mean? What What's the alternative? Just denial? Uh, yeah, probably <laughs> denial or excuses or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know, I'm, or I'm, reasons. Good. I'm good for that. I'll keep you honest. Yeah. So no, this was, I mean, completely on me for, for Biff and the shot. Um, but yeah, I just don't like, again, it happens to dude. the, to the try of, of all you can. Like, I don't like the op- missing the opportunity to like do everything possible to locate that. Deer. Well, that's how you learn too, man. I, th- I think guys want to, uh, whether they just literally don't know what happened or I think a lot of times they, they do realize and they don't want to admit, especially like getting smelled by deer, or getting seen by deer. Mm-hmm. You don't hear guys talking about that a whole lot, I think. Like, no. Do people, you, you get smelled. People get blown at, you know what I mean? People, they, they see you. Things happen all the time. Well, and a lot, and of, a lot of guys don't want to admit. They don't want to admit that a deer was on edge. Yeah. Or, and, and it's... It's not like you're admitting like that you even did something. It's just like, dude, that's that's hunting. Yeah, well, I mean, a, lot of, a lot of people write me personally and are like, dude, like at least you like owned up to it. Like a lot of these guys would never even fucking say anything. They just would just tuck it under a rug and not even talk about it. And that's one thing I've frankly sure. I learned even directly from from Winky is Winky's made a, a lot of bad shots and he's very open about it. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just that's how it is. And you know, I I don't have anything to hide. I'm you know. I'm a human. I'm not perfect. Like it just happens, sure. you know? And so, yeah, it sucks. And, and I hate it for the deer. And, you know, what I don't like is, um, just cause I, you know, I do consume a ton of venison every year is like, if I find that deer, let's say they call me today and they're like, yeah, go for it. It's bad. It's yeah. been 70 so, degrees. And so is the hide. Yeah. So yeah, I just, so you're looking at a European mount at best. Yeah, and the meat's a, a bummer as <laughs> yeah, well. Which, you know, then is like, oh great. I just, you know, I got them for the antlers, which is shitty. Um, well, it's a part of it. Yeah. No uh, it just, I, you know, I don't like 
I would rather have had the opportunity to like recover. The Absolutely. Deer versus yeah, you want to use that now. You it's can. you scavenge for them. Sure. So yeah, it it sucks on that part, and um, you know, I but, mean, some of this, it's a lot of that is out of your control, though, dude. I mean, y- y- sure. you can only do you can only just make the best shot with the situation that you have there. I mean, so it, it is worth asking and, um, you know, with the things that you could have changed, it's like, what, what, what could you have done any differently? You know, even all the way back to like, would I have rattled before daylight? No, I wouldn't. Is it, is a decision. Um, would I have done something different with your p- pin setup or configuration? You know, worth, I would adopt the only things that I would have changed in retrospect is maybe I wouldn't have rattled as early as I did. That said, I, by the time he got across the field and I called him back, it was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, the really thing comes down to is I would have adjusted my pin to 20. Yeah. Would, would you have gotten on the blood trail as quickly? You know, those are decisions. Yeah. You know, and so basically what you have to go on there is what does my arrow look like? Which and, didn't look good. That's why I backed out. And where did, where did I see did I see where I hit him? Mm, which I thought... Because if you didn't, at that point, that should have been the only thing that had you go... It, and, and I guess you can start to look for blood. I mean, I mean, put it this way. When he stopped, there was a smaller, probably four or five inch sa- like sapling here. When he stopped, I had front shoulder and just a little bit behind his, his front leg. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't have hit back. I could have hit up, down, or I could have hit forward. Yep. And, I mean, I tucked it pretty tight onto his shoulder. At 12 yards, I was confident with that setup blown right through him. Yeah. And when it shot, I mean, it sounded great, which is why when he ran at 30 yards, I was like, he's, he's going to fall. Yeah. And then he didn't. And so, but because also at 12 yards and he's downhill, I'm, I'm at a pretty steep angle there. And so... If I am shooting two inches high, let's just say with the 30 yard pin versus the 20, and he's at 12, like yep. maybe it is three inches high at that angle, it's high. It, it may not even have caught close long. It may only caught far long. Right. And that initial part could have been fat from around, you know, his back, basically, mm-hmm. back fat down mm-hmm. in. Um, but because of the way that the angle looked, you know, and it's, day, it's at daybreak, like it looked like a good shot, like right behind the shoulder, I saw it go. But I mean, you know that. I mean, that's, that's the best through. information you can get is where'd you hit him. That's that's mm-hmm. that's that's eighty percent of it. Yep. Yeah. You know I mean, if you see where you hit him, then the rest is kind of like a wash. Which is why I was confused when I saw the arrow. Because when right. I when I got down out of the tree and I looked at the arrow, I'm like, what the hell? Like I expected that thing to be coated because it it looked like yeah. you know it looked like a great and, hit. And the arrows, I mean, because it's like goes through a lot right it's going through hide it's going through sure. fat in some cases going through rib or bone in some cases also going through vital organs hopefully yep. or some sort of other um yeah arteries muscular you know mm-hmm. so the arrow is not always going to be 100 percent. like typically if you get guts yeah you'll smell guts typically if it's if it's straight vital organs you're likely it's to have blood. good blood on it mm-hmm. and stuff but if it comes in or out of you know, or through like a really fatty substance like it, there's a likelihood it gets cleaned cleaned off you know as mm-hmm. it's coming out so there i think your shot placement would tell you you're like i think it was a good shot the arrow looks weird but you know i, I need to at least see what my blood looks like from there and five yards it was spraying and you start finding really good blood so i mean everything everything indicated because i it was when we stopped the first time i basically harlan had to go to school so we backed out um it was an hour and 45 minutes after I shot. And then it was another two hours. It was probably another an hour. It was probably two hours and 45 minutes before I picked it up again. I mean, that deer had plenty of time to lay down and die without being pressured. 
Uh, he just didn't. <laughs> he just didn't lay down. So what is your rule of thumb with, you know, I've, I've heard and I've also seen like uh, pretty big variations in like the time that you try to give an animal based on mm-hmm. the hit that you think you have. So like uh, I'm usually an hour guy minimum, regardless, unless I see him fall. Okay. If well, I see him fall, then I, I that kind of goes out the window. I, so I think heart and lungs is kind of no question. Everybody kind of agrees like, hey, you should see him go down. But if not, it's a half hour to an hour. Yeah, I'm still. And they're probably an, dead within five minutes. I mean, yeah, I'm still usually an hour guy just on the edge of caught. By the time you get packed up and you get out or do it. It's amazing how fast some of these deer will die. I mean, if you hit, if you oh, double yeah. lung up deer, I mean, that thing's dead a minute, two yeah, minutes minute. sometimes, yep. you, you know. Uh, they just fall, they just fall, fall over stone dead. Mm-hmm. But if you hit them in the the liver, I know is a big question mark for a lot yep. of guys. And also, the difference between two lungs and one lung is <laughs> which is where I probably think I where was my at. biggest question mark is at. Yeah. It's like how much time do you give a deer hit in the liver or in a single lung? And I'll finish that by saying, I, I think some guys will say a liver could be twelve hours, twelve twelve or more. Which but, is hard for me to think of because I've shot. <laughs> I've also seen deer die like. Like a double lung hit. Yeah, you know I mean? shot a bunch of deer in the liver. I killed the big Kansas buck, the O-liver. Oh, God, I, I livered him. him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that deer, we gave that deer two hours, but he was probably dead within five minutes. Um, he, he Wherever he ran to his first bed, he died. Uh, that buck that I shot in Illinois, though I probably caught lung too, I mean, I destroyed his liver on the way up, and he went 30 yards and fell over. For sure. Um, that buck Corey killed. Straight liver. That's straight the one liver. I'm talking about. Yep. Straight, dead center, straight liver. That thing ran 30 yards and fell over dead. Like was, yep. we just went over and got him. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I think when, I think when a lot of guys talk about the liver hit, they're talking about either it's guts, it's further back than they think. The you liver know, sits further back you know than people think. the one that stands think. out to me? Did you ever see, I think it was Ty Easley with Heartland Bowhunter shot mm-hmm. a deer. It was a giant mm-hmm. in the liver. Mm-hmm. And they... I mean, like they kept bumping them, and it was like two days later. Wow! I think they've I, see. I don't. I I think that I think you miss most of the liver at that point. You hit guts. But even guts, what do they say? Six hours? Six to twelve? You know? Yeah, guts are usually if I can is an immediate overnight for me. Yeah. Um, the worst part about guts is like your blood trail is no super limited, which which stresses the point even more of like don't push them. Yeah, dog because they're going to be hurting. They're going to go lay down somewhere. Dog or drones is what you need with a, a gut shot. If you unless he laid in the first bed and he's there, because that's a tough find. You're gridding almost at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, livers are are one that I mean they bleed, and I've in fact my um my cousin shot one. I don't know, it was two years ago or something. I'll I'll talk to him. Uh, but he shot one in the liver, and I remember he said, he's like, I put it right through the liver, said so deer took five steps and just started shaking and just fell over. Mm-hmm. I mean, I th- those livers How is that possible? Like, how how is your liver so critical to life function? That's what filters all your blood. On a constant recurring constant basis. basis. Oh, really? Yeah, it's filtering all of your lung, uh, all of your blood. Oh, wow. So it's when like that your built-in dialysis machine, right? So when that opens up, you've got giant arteries coming through there. Is that when? Is that when they put people on dialysis? Is when kidneys. your liver is failing? Your kidneys. Yeah. What do your kidneys do? Filter your uh, liquids and stuff out that you consume. Mm-hmm. Okay, so like when you drink, it goes to your stomach and then to your kidneys. 
through your intestines. Through your intestines to yeah, your th- kidneys? Then it, it gets sucked into the body, which then eventually filters through your kidneys. Okay. So the yeah. intestines absorb it. And then with solid intake, it goes to your stomach and mm-hmm. then into your intestines. And then also distributes into the body through your intestines like that. Colon? That goes through the blood. Colon is like the, the, the last, last phase. Like, yeah. Okay. So, but your liver, it filters your blood. blood. So that's a core... You need core. That. And it's very vascularized. So it's kind of like a heart, right? Because if very all, much all so. your, is it, but, but the liver's not as like tubular as a heart, correct? It doesn't have chambers. It doesn't it. have chambers, but it's very vascularized. So it has a lot of veins and arteries coming through is it, it for all filtering. of your blood all the time, or is it just like, I mean, all of your blood filters through your liver. But not every time. Not every time my heartbeat, it's not coming through my liver. There is blood being pumped through your liver, but not all of it. Like the amount of no no no, it's just a constant. It's just like not all your blood's in your heart either. It's in your lungs. It's in your liver. It's in your. How your long does it take and... blood to go from your heart back to your heart? I have no idea. Nick, <laughs> I, no, I'm just kidding. I'm <laughs> but yeah, how do you it, Google that? It's constantly pumping. That's why, like, a lot of times when they have, like, if you've got. Um, uh, like fatty blood or anything. That's what you exercise because it pumps faster through your liver. Your liver filters faster. Mm-hmm. So that's why you do it. You exercise to pump more blood through your liver to filter out the bad stuff. Mm-hmm. That's why your liver is so critical. That's why if you drink a lot and you've so got... So it filters your blood. Okay. Yeah. But that's why when you hit it, from a deer standpoint, it's so vascularized that it bleeds a ton. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, uh, to me, like a lung liver hit, like... Quarter two, single lung liver hit is deadly. It's as deadly as as a heart hit. And liver is going to have primarily unoxygenated blood, correct? So yeah, because blood gets oxygenated yes. in the lungs, correct? And correct, correct. And then it immediately sent out for bodily function. Most of your most of your blood out of your liver is dark. What about what? out of your heart? Dark mostly. It's not oxygenated. So it goes from the heart to the lungs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So from liver to heart to lungs to yeah. body and to liver to heart to cycle. lungs to body. Yeah, I'm not a, not an anatomy. Well, it's interesting. Not a doctor. It's interesting because you you know you look at uh, you know your bright bright red blood, lungs is and arteries, be oxygenated blood. Yeah, arteries, which is ar- arteries are carrying oxygenated blood. Veins are carrying non oxygenated blood. So your veins back to are the liver, dark blue. Well, but also you have unoxygenated blood coming back into the heart directly, right? mm Hmm. Yes. And that would be coming from the liver? I don't know. Either from... I, I, failed, don't th- I, don't, I apparently failed. I don't think class. the liver takes all of the blood. I think it's just like... I think it's... To me, it seems like an eddy oh, all that's of, set off to the side. No, so all your blood, all your blood is filtered at some point through At there. some point, but not every pump, I think. Every pump, there is blood being filtered. It's not For sure. blood that's pumping how, out of your here's heart. Here's how I'm thinking it. about it. I think there's... There's some doctor squirming right now I think, on this podcast. I think you have like, your... I think you have your system where it's like heart, lungs, body, mm-hmm. brain, heart, lungs, body, and off to the side, you have the liver that's... Every, I bet on every pump, it's catching a percentage, mm-hmm. and then it stays in that eddy for a little bit, and then it gets put back into Cleanse circulation. the blood, take the alcohol. Cleanse the yeah. blood, take the alcohol. It's like the car wash of your... <laughs> yeah. yeah, your vital organs yeah. set up. Yeah. So anyways, it, it is... Which makes sense that they would live longer than a heart hit. Yeah. Although, man, I... I mean, if you cases. if you dead punch a heart, like I think Harlan dead punched that heart deer's heart, and he died like probably on his feet. But like those low uh, heart hits and stuff, those deer can live. Yeah, um, literally live. If yeah, you don't cut survive. Them, if you don't cut a main artery within the heart, nope, 
especially that that whatever you call it, the vertex of the heart. Yeah, I would almost go so far as to say you may, might be even better to nick a li- nick the liver than to nick the heart. Probably because the mm. liver is so much more vascular. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because obviously talking about this, you know, um, I, a lot of guys have talked about um, like the dead man space. There is no dead man space between the spinal cord and the lungs. Those, that cavity is filled up. When those lungs are expanded, that cavity is pushed up to basically under the spine. What so, about when they're not expanded? Uh, it's still, they're still there. I mean, you're not missing in between breaths basically on that side. They're still big enough that they're just not inflated to fill the whole cavity, but lo- like actual size-wise, they're still occupying. I that think space. there is, dude. No, there is no, there is no dead man space. Doesn't exist. I think I hit that deer in uh, Kansas there, that pretty boy. No, I think he hit him in the spine, above the spinal cord, in the back strap. How far above? How? Because there's spine, there's back strap, spine, mm-hmm. spinal artery, which we talked about with this deer, and then lung. And it's so you're either hitting spine, artery, or lung, or you're hitting backstrap and over the top, which is, I mean, think about some of these big bucks. There's, there's three, four inches of backstrap there on that top. We should look, we should, I've never looked really closely at the space between. So like, cause when you got a deer, yeah, you know, the gravity is pulling it and it's all. Yeah. Yeah. It's obviously a mess, but you, you, you know, when you cut it open, you have, the, you have all the digestive mm-hmm. st- you have you know guts mm-hmm. then you have diaphragm right? yep so liver bumps up against the it's diaphragm. just literally a barrier between your is the, the liver's up in front of the diaphragm right mm-hmm. so in front of the diaphragm you have vital organs your heart lungs liver no liver is behind i'm sorry behind i thought you it. meant like going okay so yeah. so lungs liver is behind the lungs diaphragm and lung and heart is in in the cavity it of sure the seems like um sure seems like there would be a small space there between the it's not the diaphragm, but the top of the cavity. From everything that I've seen and read is that space is not Well, guys existent. lose deer and they live. I think it's single lung, high single lungs. Yeah. Case in point, my deer right now, which I don't think, I think I made a, that sever just, I think, ate them up. But if you shoot like a one inch uh, fixed blade and you put a high single lung on them, that deer lives. So, yeah, I guess the... Single lung is the biggest question mark for myself and probably most people is like, can a deer live with a single lung hit? How long do they live? If not, Mm -hmm. I think, uh, I've seen deer single lung survive often, often. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it depends on how much. I know the rate of recovery is not good. No. And I mean, that's where it's like, at some point that deer probably dies. Like that's where it comes back is, is that shot fatal? Well, not in the first 96 hours in the next three months, gotta, maybe got to be a percentage of it. Cause like, even if you nick two lungs, like it, if the organs can still function, if you nick that's two what it lungs, comes down to uh, the, the amount of blood that that cavity starts to fill up quickly and it, he suffocates Drowns. internally. Yeah. Um, the, the single lung thing is interesting cause that buck, I, I think it depends on where the single lung is. So like that buck I shot straight down close that single lung literally was hanging out of that deer's body right like that deer was not going to survive he was alive when we found him Mm. but he was not going to survive long term but if you think about a high single lung like especially miss close hit far i bet that deer can he's not going to feel great but i bet he recovers yeah um he bleeds and and eventually it clots and i i bet he survives does gangrene or something get him in the winter time maybe you know that that who knows? At that point, 
the single lung was just a contributing factor to his death. Yeah. But I mean, did, uh, I mean, I, I've seen guys literally what I thought would like punch a deer like damn good and like that deer lives. Yeah. Well, I think for me anyways, like that conversation kind of confirms you want to you want to put as big a hole in that thing as you possibly Absolutely. can. So and you want it in between the heart, lungs, liver. You want it in that 12 to 18 inch box. Yeah. Yeah. And so because from a recovery standpoint, you want a, you want a good blood trail. That's certainly important. Mm-hmm. But that's that's directly, you know, that's that's indicative of what's happening inside that animal. Sure. You want to create as much hemorrhage as possible in as vital of organs as possible. The more hemorrhage you create, the faster um the quicker that deer dies. Yeah. And so I think it's, you could almost say it's a fact that as long as it penetrates and as long as it's intact, that those two blade expandables or even however many blades, three, three blade expandable. An expandable will cut a bigger hole and do more damage. It's a deadlier broadhead. Yeah. I mean, people talk about the pass through aspect from a blood trailing standpoint, a pass through aspect is absolutely, um, uh, an advantage to, to tracking. Absolutely. Um, but, a small hole in a lobe of a liver versus a large axe cut through a lobe of the liver will make a big difference from a hemorrhaging side. Yeah. Um, I would almost put it like, you know, if you're deciding, I, I'm going to, I'm going to say, uh, well, the, the, the mechanics are not what makes a me- mechanical broadhead deadly. It's, it's this, it's the cutting diameter. Mm-hmm. So regardless of fixture mechanical, it's the, the larger the cutting diameter on those vital organs, mm-hmm. the deadlier the broadhead. Yep. However, it has to meet some base level requirements. Sure. It has to penetrate. It has to stay intact. It has to deploy. Well, that's in reference to the mechanical versus fixed blade, which I don't think is as important. I, you know. I've seen some of those not not pop a, a blade up, and that definitely has a major effect. What do you mean? Well, like, yeah, because that's affecting your cutting diameter. Mm-hmm. So it might as well be a fixed blade or a, a field point even. Yeah. I mean, and it comes back to like people say like, don't do it, but you know, you double lung a deer with a, a fill point, it'll, it'll kill it. <laughs> like it'll die. Maybe uh, it, the lungs. Yeah, maybe. But dude, your chances are not good. No, I don't think, I think even if you no, they're not good at all. Be, I mean, even because a, it's even hemorrhage, a one inch a field point doesn't create hemorrhage. It just, it punctures it. And yeah, if you, if you puncture something like a lung that mm-hmm. is literally filled with air and it deflates or it's literally filled with sure. blood, yeah, it's going to kill that deer. Not quickly. No. Not humanely. No. Um, yeah, and it's, t- I mean, very possible if I would have shot this deer with a fixed blade, I wouldn't have found nearly as much blood. I may not even attract nearly as far as I did. Um, or he may have even survived. Yeah, well, so yours is a great example of like, man, not only did the mechanical uh, do what it should, but even bigger, right? Like, dude, anytime you pass through an animal, it's like you could have afforded a bigger cutting surface, right? Because sure. that's what you want to achieve is with any broadhead is, is a path through, is a pass through and, and, and with durability. Yeah. And so the bigger, the more cut you can put on a thing and still achieve that, the better. Mm-hmm. That's a fact. Mm-hmm. Yes. I totally understand why guys shoot fixed blades. And in a lot of cases, they're right, and, and they're um, maybe they sh- maybe they should be shooting that. Well, what's interesting is I think, and and I did it for a long time. I killed a, a ton of deer with fixed points uh, or fixed blades. It, you know, and again, I got to find that graphic. But that that graphic that illustrated where deer were hit and the re- the recovery of like we recovered, he was dead. We found him, he was alive, he lived, whatever. It's funny because the you know most of us 
you know, twitch at the at the sound of a gut shot deer, right? But the the fact is, is from the back of the leg to the guts, um, most of those deer will recover dead. From the back of the leg up, like in that shoulder area, most of those deer were not recovered. Yeah. Um, and so the fixed blade aspect is, well, I'm going to put it right through the shoulder. The reality is, is according to that graphic, and maybe it was because those people didn't have their arrows set up right or whatever, most of those deer were not found. They oh, oh, well, dude, the, the, the shoulder blade and, and bones in general definitely have prevented deer from getting killed. Yes. Uh, and that's that's why that graphic is that way. I think mm-hmm. you know because there's setups and there's broadheads and and certainly mechanicals are a big culprit of them. That, sure, you put a hundred grain rage on a light arrow and you're not getting shit penetration. Right, right. And so you know it just comes basically down to like know your setup, know what mm-hmm. it, know what it can penetrate, and also um, know the anatomy. Know yep. know you know where where you're what's a lethal shot and what's not. Yep, agree. Yeah, crazy, but... Um, it's funny to see guys' reactions. To, I mean, that's... Um, I keep coming back to, you know, Winky, and I guess other guys, too, but it's it's funny to watch guys' reactions when they hit deer in certain places. Sure. Every one of us has watched a shot on a TV show or, on, like, just a, a whatever. We've seen people shoot deer and work. <laughs> yeah, and my reaction might be like, ooh. Yeah. And it's funny, Winky is one that stood out to me. It's like, <clears throat> I watched him. It was maybe that uh, big, wiry 10-point that he shot standing oh, yeah. on the field. Where he hit that thing like square in the guts, yeah. or like maybe right in front of the back yeah. leg, and he turns to the camera and he's like, "Got him," <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and because he knows he's got enough experience with to say that is a dead deer. You, yeah, you put a deer, you, you leave him enough, you don't push him, he'll die. You put it, you put an, you know, especially and so I think Winky at the time was shooting his rocket broadheads, expandable mm-hmm. broadheads. He, you know, he knows that you 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 hemorrhage a vital organ even. An intestine, uh, mm-hmm. you know, whatever's back in the that deer will die. Yeah, and if you have the acreage to, you know, be able to recover him, and and you have the time, yeah. you can back off, and hopefully your weather conditions are right that you can still salvage every part of the animal. Mm-hmm. He will die. Sure. Yeah, yeah, and that's the that's a disadvantage for a lot of us is like we don't have the acreage, or you know, you're out of room, or whatever it is. You know, oh, it's just hard. I mean, yeah. looking for you know, if your if your property is a premium big buck property like mm-hmm. you know i mean you, your habitat is good sure he's going to be hard to recover yeah right imagine especially Stick. like imagine a giant switchgrass field like yeah holy cow or 100 a couple hundred acre cornfields where like, those drones really pay off man you know and i get it I, like um maybe there's a chance that people don't want me on the property because it's peak rot and they don't want me gridding out there i don't blame them you know it's um i don't hold it i don't let me put it this way i don't hold it against any of the landowners who haven't got back to me or given me access some might just be unfamiliar with hunting and like i yeah. don't know this guy's trying to rake the system and yeah. you know other people are just like oh well if he ran that far like he's still alive like who, who knows so you know i don't hold them accountable for any of that but um i do think it's 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 interesting um we had a pretty long discussion the other day about uh harvest numbers and you know uh, we should talk about that a little bit. The Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Muddy and Stealth Cam Trail Cameras. Cell cams, cell cams, cell cams. What an evolution the industry has seen. And we've experienced personally over the past five, ten, you know, whatever cameras were invented, right? It's like, man, it's totally changed the way that we inventory deer, pattern deer, and ultimately the decisions that we make when we're going out to hunt. They're a serious piece of the puzzle. And, and uh, you know, that information is invaluable for us. We trust the Muddy and Stealth Cams, you know, together to be able to, to collect any of that information. Yeah, I mean, as an admitted trail cam addict you know i've definitely been guilty of of under hunting places or relying too heavily on that information that's come in 
That said, it's an invaluable tool to the overall management plan and strategy that I have for my own properties or even hunting public land. It doesn't matter. We have a finite amount of time in going out and hunting. So when you and I are after a particular class or quality of deer, usually a mature buck, we can't waste time hunting an area where that deer doesn't exist. And those cell cams provide that information that allow us to spend the time in the area with the highest chance to accomplish our goals. I say it all the time, man. They can't kill them if they're not there. That's it. So right now, any of our listeners can use uh, code HUNTER20 to get 20% off either muddy or stealth cameras. Uh, we're certainly going to be taking advantage of that, and we hope you guys do too. Yep, check out Stealth Cam and Muddy. So we're talking about deer numbers. Oh, yeah. So, okay. So by, obviously I'm, this isn't my plan, but by law, I could have went out and hunted this morning and shot another buck Uh and effectively two bucks would have died. Right. Um, if drone, if you had a, if you, yeah, if I actually did a shot, yeah. If I actually That's see, confidence right there. If, if I hunted this morning, a buck would have died. If I would, if I actually see another deer on my property now, um, but if I was able to use drones and stuff, I likely would have recovered that deer, which means, You'd have been done. in theory, the other buck would have lived because I didn't hunt. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a perfect statistic of what Yoder was telling us last week of like uh, uh, the percentage that they don't find is mm-hmm. way higher sure. than the ones that they do find. Yes. So those people keep hunting. Yes. And likely they're dead deer. Yep. Eventually. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lethal hit at some point in the next six months. Yeah. You know, that deer succumbs to its injuries, whether it's because of infection or whatever else happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a weird thing um, when you kind of look at that, because, you know, when you look at, uh, especially when you have somebody like Yoder who's out there seeing and looking for deer or Tyler at Skyhound, the, the bottom line is, is like there's a there's a lot of people calling, including myself, looking for assistance to find those deer. There's also probably 10 times as many that aren't calling. Sure. And just don't find the deer and then go out there and try to hunt or shoot another one. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, 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 it's, you know, begs a question, like how many deer are really getting shot every year? Because the numbers that you see, first of all, are usually an estimate anyways, but, um, they don't include the ones that got away. It's funny. It'd be funny to speculate. I mean, not funny is maybe not the right word, but a lot. I bet it's, I bet it's a double. Lot. Maybe almost double. I don't know if it's quite double. I mean, that would be like everybody that shot one also shot another one. And it's not going to be every person, but let's say half of the people shot. Well, how many chances you get? Like, there's a good chance I won't get a chance at another buck in Pennsylvania this year. So, some somebody, Nick shoots a buck in Pennsylvania. He's counted toward the harvest. I'm not in the harvest number, but I also shot one that I didn't recover. I'd lo- yeah, I'd love to know the success rate of guys that shot at deer. Because I mean, if you think about it, is it, it one in three? Let's just say, what was it, four hundred thousand in uh, four hundred thousand deer in Ohio killed, something like that. Yeah. And how many deer hunters are in Ohio? I don't know. Isn't it like three fifty? Is it more than one deer per guy getting killed? I'm sure it is. That's intriguing. Because like in Pennsylvania, I think it's like four hundred thousand, but there's seven hundred fifty thousand hunters. So it's like a half well, a deer per are guy. You you're saying just just bucks or no, no? no I'm just saying deer total. Also, because Ohio's a six deer state. So, <laughs> so one secret. guy can shoot six deer. Yeah, but only one, one buck. One antlered buck. All right. So and not all in one county. Yep. So let's do the um let's do those numbers. So Ohio twenty two uh deer harvest. Okay. Um ba, 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 ba. oh no, it's not nearly that much. 
2022, there were 211,000 deer checked in. Across all seasons. Mm-hmm. Across all seasons. Um, trying to see how many. And there were 410,000 permits purchased. Wow. So it's basically a half a deer per hunter, right? Yeah. Or half the hunter shot one deer. Mm-hmm. Yes, correct. Makes a little more sense. <laughs> yes. Yep. Half the hunter shot one deer. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So with that in mind, then... That's, that's crazy. Well, that, I think, shines light on uh, incentive. And we talk about how do we get people mm-hmm. to kill more deer? Because in some cases we need, uh, especially, the, you know, the doe harvest needs to come up. Yeah. Um, it's a six-year state right now, and only half the guys are shooting one deer. Yeah. Yep. And half of those deer that were killed were killed during archery season. Okay. And then about 12,000 less in the normal gun seasons, then about 13,000 in muzzleloader, 9,500 in youth, and 1,000 in controlled firearm hunts. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, it, it would be, it'd be interesting to figure out, okay, if there's 210,000 deer or 211,000 deer killed. How many were shot at? Probably, probably another 100,000. <laughs> probably 500,000. No, it's just a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. You know, and how many of those deer end up succumbing? I mean, you think about, you know, finding dead heads or dead does or whatever in the woods. I mean, a lot, you know. Um, so, yeah, especially as we start to talk about, like, how, you know, how effective is the hunting community at killing deer, you know, you kind of have to figure out some sort of factor around the wounding rate and eventual those deer succumbing to their their injuries. Mm. Um, that doesn't seem like it's talked about very often. Well, it's really hard, I think, to know. Sure. You know, uh, I don't know how you, I don't know how you retrieve that statistic, but it would be really interesting to know, like run down the line of like uh, trad bows, compound bows, crossbows, mm-hmm. shotguns, rifles, muzzleloader, muzzleloader. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, what is the, what's the percentage of, of, I think it's pretty easy. It's like, did you hunt with any of these weapons? No, no, no. Yes. No, no, no. Whatever. And then did you harvest a deer with any of these weapons? You answer that. Did you hit and not recover a deer with any of these weapons? If you did that in a blind pool, I think not everybody's going to be honest about it, but yeah. um, And then how many? mm -hmm. Well, and there's a lot of people that will say, I've (laughs) gone bow, whatever. Like they missed, but they really hit the deer, um, especially with guns. Like they walk up, there's no blood. I messed them. Sure. Well, it's like it goes both ways because it's like on one end of the spectrum with like the most primitive equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the wounding rate is fairly high. I think we all know guys that uh, sure. with trad bows that like. It's a tough, tough, it's a tough thing to kill a deer with. Yeah, it's not as lethal of a weapon as maybe something more in the middle, like a, a, a compound bow, a crossbow, or even a close range yeah. firearm. Yeah. It, you know, so, so you have a high wounding rate probably, uh, but, but, you know, and, and it's, it goes both ways because you have, the, you know, the Those guys, are most, the guys the using that equipment are probably. Are very serious. Yeah. And maybe at some point achieve a level of, of lethality, but it's just, it's just a, a less lethal weapon, sure. you know, because it's. And then on the opposite spectrum, you know, you have a long range rifle. Yeah, straight wall cartridge. Where it's like, uh, you know, it's an extremely effective killing tool. Um, but, you know, the yardage and stuff in between, you know, and also the lack of hemorrhage, you know, mm-hmm. that an, an arrow produces, whether bow, crossbow, or, or mm-hmm. trabo, um, 
so I think that there's a I think there's a, a, a greater chance for uncertainty, like on the hit. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it just first of all, I didn't see where I hit because it was 200 yards away. I, sure. I don't know. I think I think it was a good shot. It felt good. Yeah. But then you don't have an arrow to read, mm-hmm. uh, and you just you basically yeah, you're not you're not gonna have as much blood in most cases. Yeah, you don't see blood unless you drop them. You don't see blood right at that that point of impact. Mm-hmm. So there's um, there's disadvantages of that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. It, it definitely is a it's a number that's not di- not discussed a lot, and um, you know, as more and more data come in from guys like like Mike and his group, like obviously you know, starts to paint a picture of like, it's quite a bit of deer that get away. There also is the element of, uh, the, uh, what would be the, the name for it? Like a, a pseudo confidence in your weapon. Sure. You know, like, so if I have a gun and I see a deer at a hundred yards, I, I'm taking the yeah, shot. No brainer. You know, that's why you hear. Yeah. Yeah. And just shots ringing Volleys, out. Cause yeah. guys are just flinging lead at people or mm-hmm. at, at deer rather. And where are we at Cleveland, you know? And I think that's also, it's it's a it's on a scale, so uh-huh. I think you know the crossbow would be well shot. You know, let's say guns are guns. Walk it off to crossbows. I think you know guys with crossbows have a, more of that feeling than let's say a compound or a, yeah. a traditional bow. Yeah, like you get down to to a compound and a and a traditional weapon, you understand that. Yeah, there's a threshold. There's there. a very low chance of getting a second shot. You know mm-hmm. what I mean, so you, you, you try yeah. to wait for the right moment. Yeah, the crossbow is kind of the in betweener where it's like. And granted, maybe I don't know enough about how quickly you can reload those things. Um, I mean, not that quick. Like, I don't think people are thinking about a volley. I think the confidence would be... Yeah, you're still on, the, yeah, still I, on that side I've of got it. a three to nine, you know, variable scope. And yeah, it's more about distance. And, yeah, it's yeah. more of a it's a more of an overconfidence in the distance than it is a follow-up shot. Sure, sure. I would agree um, with that. And you do have a bolt to go and look for, yeah. you know, blood or, or whatever, unless it's sticking. The longer the shot, the more likely you don't have that bolt. The more likely it's going to be sticking in the animal um, mm-hmm. because you're going to be losing momentum at distances. Um, yeah, maybe it's a little harder to find. It's half the length. Yeah. I mean, I've, uh, boys have shot several of them, and we've never had an issue with them. I mean, mm-hmm. we don't shoot past 30 yards, but we've never had an issue with them. Sure. Finding the, the bolts, at least. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's it's an interesting thing there from a from a confidence level. And, and like I said, I mean, I just did it. But, I, I, you know, everybody makes mistakes. Like, shit happens. Um, but there's a... Uh, there's obviously a certain group of people that will make a, a valiant effort to find it. There'll be another group of people that not to their, not putting them down. They just don't know. And they're just like, well, no blood. I guess I missed them. Well, it's interesting. Like I would assume if you could gather all those statistics, it would be a bell curve. Um, like, you know, on one end of the, of the weaponry, uh, you have, you know, your tribo guys, maybe, uh, uh, you know, how would I say that? They, um, the, the the rate of wounding deer is, is higher, you know, even though they're putting, a, you know, a max, not because of them, but because of the weapon. Yeah. A maximum effort into recovering the deer sure. into making the right shot. And maybe on the other spectrum, uh, you know, with a gun, it's like, uh, you don't have as much information to, and you also have, you know, further, you know, more opportunity. So I would argue at the end of the day, like maybe the odds of success are about the same. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true. I mean, I'm just speculating, mm-hmm. but it's for different reasons, but it seems like ultimately the odds of, successfully recovering and sure. killing the animal would be about the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it, the, the the wounding thing is for sure, uh, you know, it's something that nobody really discusses and, and it's probably been a, 
it's probably a big issue. It's probably a bigger issue than than most people think. Well, it's not um, pretty. I mean, it's not one that you want no. like a non-hunting community necessarily like p- pointing out because it, it definitely is a it's an uglier side of of hunting is like there's opportunity for, for, for wounding. Sure. And none of us want that. I mean, that's why you practice with your equipment. That's why you try to use the most lethal equipment possible, but it's hunting. It does happen. Mm-hmm. Which is, I mean, to their argument, that's why a lot of the crossbow guys say we should be using crossbows in archery because they're a more efficient killing machine. Yes. But because of like what we kind of just ran through, I think they also have uh, p- potential negatives, you know, the, the overconfidence in mm-hmm. those long distance shots. Mm-hmm. being the main one probably mm-hmm. yeah I, I would also i know i've talked to a couple of them it's funny because we get in the crossbow discussion and it's it's cool to see there are definitely some hunters out there that i have conversations with that i'm like this guy gets it and he he's putting in the right he's doing things the way i would do things on my compound like they're building their bolts correctly they're doing things like when you start talking about some of these crossbows that are shooting 400 feet per second i would bet that most people don't have their bolts set up correctly to be lethal at that speed. Uh, in fact, they're probably about to blow up coming off of that freaking crossbow. Well, I think the fact that the bolts are shorter accommodates it does. for a lot of that. It does. But I mean, when you think you about... Because if you tried to shoot an arrow as long as ours, it would have to be like a, yeah. you know, a 25 spine. Yeah. <laughs> like it would have to be when so you, stiff. When you shoot that fast though, and let's say, because I would say most people are probably using a 100 grain broadhead on a crossbow. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, that's a lot of speed coming out with probably, and I, I say this lightly because I know I've talked to several people. There are some people that are building their arrows with FOC uh, in mind and stuff, but most are not. I wonder what can be achieved as far as like if, if I wanted to build my crossbow bolt for maximum. So I've built one uh, for the kids. You'd want to make it as heavy as possible, right? I built, I built one for the kids that, I mean, it's only, what, 22 inches, I think is the bolt. I don't know. Um, I think that's what it is. And, um, but I've got a weighted brass insert in the front uh-huh. cause I'm shooting a hundred grain broadhead. Uh, I've got a, what, uh, like what, what is the bolt like? Is, is it a grains, grains per inch? Like how, yep. uh, how stiff is it? Like what's the spine? I mean, oh, I don't know. Okay. I mean, it's 22 inch arrows. So it's, I assume stiff. <laughs> Right. Like, well, it's inherently stiff because it's short. Short. But like, what is it actually spined at? Because uh, you don't know. I don't know. Let me see if I if I have it on here. I assume it it probably doubles. You know what I mean? So it's like if I'm shooting a 250 on a whatever 31 inch arrow, if I'm if I back it down to like 22 inches, it's probably pushing like a hundred a hundred spine or whatever. That I don't know okay, here, what the chart equals uh, out to. I'll tell you in one second on these ones. Do you know total? Total bolt weight, like what your kid's setup is? Uh, no, I do not. Hmm. I've not looked at that. Because um, you'd think at that speed, it's like, man, you could probably easily get away with like a, an 800 grain bolt. I just don't know how you would build that much weight into it. So, and again, uh, it's a solid piece I won't, of like. I won't call, call the brand out because it's just, you know, I bought them. Okay, here we go. Um, so, yeah, I'm shooting 22 grain. Oh. Yes, I'm shooting 22 grain or 22 inch bolts at uh, a thousandth, yeah, a thousandth uh, inch straightness, so point zero zero one. They have a 92 grain brass insert mm-hmm. in the front. Um, they do not list anything around spines. Okay. Uh, what's your grains per inch on your bolt? 9.1. Okay. 
Yep, 9.1 on a 22 with a 92 grain insert. Got it. 100 grain broadhead. And 18 grains of veins. Okay. That's it. Uh, that's so that's 410. So you get 900, 92 grain outs or 100 mm-hmm. grain broadhead. Mm-hmm. 9.1 times 22. Whatever, that's your mm-hmm. shaft weight. And yep. then 18 grains. Yep. And so then there you go. A knock. Maybe so so you're like 415 or something. 415. Yep. That'd be it. So 450. So, and at 400 feet per second, if that is really what it's flying, like, man, it seems like it should be probably way heavier. Probably should be like 600 grains. I don't know how you can make it that heavy. I don't know either. <laughs> Yeah, because, I, I mean, I could go heavier broadhead. I bet that still has... I mean, heavier broadhead would be a no-brainer. I would assume that still has a pretty pretty strong FOC percentage on it. Sure. Um, With 92 grain, 192 grains up front, basically, mm-hmm. on a 410 grain. It's probably 20% or damn close, 19 to 20%. Okay. I don't, I don't, I don't, well, I need the full, whatever, the fulcrum point to calculate that, and I don't have it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I bet it's, it's, let's say it's north of 17% on FOC. So, and I mean, those things, the kids have been lethal with them. Um, so I guess I kind of built them as not as heavy as I could, but I built them with some sort of FOC in mind and, and heavier up front. Um, Mm -hmm. but obviously 410 grains is not a very heavy arrow or bolt Mm -mm. at all. I see it's probably heavier than a lot of guys bolts but, uh, re- but relative to the speed that the thing is producing like that's where i'm saying it could, t- be, could be heavier. i'll tell you this though the raven ones that came with the original bow that i got for the kids were 8.9 grains they were 21 inch bolts um no insert mm-hmm. and 100 grains up front mm-hmm. they were like 300 310 grain bolts. Yeah. Well, well, and truthfully, that's been kind of the standard in the archery industry for a long time too, as we evolve out of like this speed era where Mm -hmm. in in the early 2000s or whatever, it was just all about speed. Mm -hmm. And then that's where you see guys like, um, I mean, who are your classics? Like your, your, your bone collectors, your Mm -hmm. the Kiskis, even the Lukoskis at one point, everybody's shooting like the maximum reds, maximum blues, you know, 350s. And those were, whatever per inch. I mean, their total arrow setups were probably like 350 and they were shooting like <laughs> 65 or 70 pounds. Yeah. And they speed, were speed, ripping speed. out of there. They're shooting like 330 feet per second, but they're just like, you know, bouncing off these deer. Yeah. It just stops like a freight train dead. Yeah. And, um, yep. So, you know, fortunately I think, we're, man, we understand a lot more about arrows, um, mm-hmm. and, and those setups and stuff that, than we ever, you know, I think we're just at, at a, a good point with that where guys have the ability to build super deadly arrows that, that penetrate that are straight shooting uh, regardless of if it's a comp from a compound um, or a crossbow or, or a trad bow. It's sure. like the technology exists. We can make super lethal arrows that penetrate. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it the information's out there and th- that, that crossbow bolt that I made for the kids, I mean, it was pretty standard out of the box. Like it was like, here are my options, pick, pick, pick. I knew what I was putting on the front. Um, maybe I go to 125 grain broadhead, just give it a little bit more room for front. But I mean, those, those things have been killers. I feel like everybody should be shooting a heavier broadhead just about. Sure. Like the the reason that it's, it just, we landed on a number that was reasonable and, and guys just like accepted it. But like, I don't see, I don't see any downfall to shooting a heavier broadhead. I love that 125 grain sever setup. I mean, it, it, like I said, I lose maybe a little bit of speed off my bow, but the, the force at impact is substantial. 
Yeah. Well, and the, the further forward you have it too, I think the better. I mean, so yep. truthfully, if I, if I could shoot 150 grain and sure. even if I had to sacrifice 25 grains off of the tail end of my insert mm-hmm. system, I think that would be an advantage. Absolutely. You know, the further forward I can get yeah. the better penetration I'm going to have the, with it's it. It's the dart thing, right? Yeah. I mean, fill dart, like it's complete light in the back end and it's so heavy up on front. There's also only so much, uh, weight that you can build into an object like yep. you know it still has to function it still has to do its, mm-hmm. its thing so yeah um well let's uh let's wrap up this way so well, you're, here, i'm not ready to be done what time is it we got time i don't know well, you're going to you're going to illinois it's fine dude we're good okay uh, i want to talk about kansas a little bit that's what i was going into yeah so uh you're leaving today this was this was kind of you made your decision when we were at illinois basically that you were coming back to illinois mm-hmm. <laughs> Like you still had some months, but it was kind of like, hey, I'm yeah, coming, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, coming yeah. back. Coming back. So you're going to go to Illinois today. You're going to hunt. Well, tomorrow looks really shitty. It's going to be hot. Yeah. So today's Tuesday. So I'm going to drive out today. I'll get in tonight, mm-hmm. like later tonight. Tomorrow. Yeah. It's like the highest day. So it's like temperatures climbing, 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 climbing. And then tomorrow night, it's supposed to kind of just tank off. There's no precipitation that's coming with it. It's just a weak front. It's just a weak front, and but it's going to drop. I mean, it's not going to be cold, cold, but it's... 40s and 50s. It'll be a significant change. 40s in the morning, high 50s in the afternoon. So I'm kind of up in the air. I mean, my it seems like the most important thing that I can do is get a stand hung uh, in, in the spot that we're getting these bucks. Mm-hmm. Where um, I killed mine at. Yeah, and so I think the question is, do I, you know, I'll be there in time to hunt Wednesday, mm-hmm. but should I? You know, even though I have a super limited time frame. It's going to be about 70 degrees in the morning. Because all I have is Thursday, Friday. So, like, I'm almost tempted to just, I don't know, sleep in a little bit, get coffee and stuff uh, Wednesday, head over to that spot mid mid Mm -hmm. to late morning, go hang the stand. Mm -hmm. I have a pulse on everything. I'll I'll make sure it's good. Uh, So, taking a lone wolf custom Mm -hmm. gear is what I'm going to hang. And it's it's good, clean, easy access. I can feel good about going in and hanging it and then Mm -hmm. getting out and Mm -hmm. then... Have to make a decision that evening. Like, do I do I go back and hunt it that evening? It's going to be hot still. Do I just wait for the f- next morning? Because then Thursday, Friday is like your good weather day. So I've got four good weather hunts. Yeah, Thursday morning, Thursday. So evening, I want to make Friday the most morning, of my Friday time evening. without you know boogering a spot unnecessarily by hunting it with mm-hmm. the wrong weather conditions. Yeah. No, I mean that. that seems but it's like, also November eighth. So I it's know. like, do I just hunt? And I mean, those deer have been all over that place. Yeah. So and yeah, I had a new shooter show up the other day. What are, what are we calling him? Which one? Crazy horse. Crazy horse. <laughs> yeah, Deer's, that beard is that deer's that. bigger than we think. Yeah, he's, I mean I don't know antler wise he's well just okay weird. so you know it's what, a horse. What was cool for me is because I even told you yesterday I was like boy I don't know I was like in some cases he looks four in other cases yeah. I'm like maybe maybe he's ancient. So to see him next to that split G two buck yesterday I was like oh <laughs> yeah horse horse oh yeah giant giant <laughs> giant giant. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so that'll be interesting. But yeah, so you've got that. And then um, Friday is the kickoff to our annual Kansas Deer Camp. Yeah. So um, I will be taking both dads. It's like I got suited up for the, the Meals on Wheels truck or something here. Well, dude, this was a lot. Uh, this was not like, <laughs> you know, it's not easy to make a second trip like this happen. Like, you know, if, you know, if things kind of keep moving and it's like I've got dogs to take care of. I've got a wife that needs to like see me at some point. We, we need to still coordinate on how to sync up with some this point. stuff. So for, in order for this to work out for me, mm-hmm. I had to figure out is the, is the wife going to allow it is, which, you know, I, I knew it would be a yes is logistically. What, what do I do with the dogs? You know, cause Margie's out of town. Um, you know, she's kind of doing her own thing and stuff. So I had to figure the dogs out and then I had to also get 
dad to Kansas and me meet up with you so that we could go finish that off. So, yes. um, and I also had to change vehicles, change vehicles so that that would make sense. So like this past couple of days, I went to the farm, hunted twice, swapped vehicles with my dad. So I have the truck left the dogs with them. So they're watching them for me for the week. And so now I'm driving, I've got dad's truck all loaded up. So I came back last night, did all the wash, got yep. everything squared up, packed as much as I could. We're going to break down and take some of this podcast up with us. So I'm driving back to Illinois, staying with a good fr- a friend yep. that I haven't met in person yet, but yep. that reached out and was like, hey. Is Paul going to be there? No. He's no got, they won, they the, won the football, won the game. football game the other day. <laughs> yeah, so I'm staying. Uh, with his dad and his kid. He's got a camp with his dad and yeah. his kid and, and uh, one of his friends, Brian. So yeah. I was like, uh, Brian shot one the other day, so I don't know if he'll still be there or not. But um, So yeah, I'm just crashing with those guys. That'll be fun. For two days. And um, and then Saturday, I guess sometimes Friday night or mm-hmm. Saturday morning, depending on if I shoot a deer that day or something, I'll... Make yeah, early. So we'll be in Kansas City around between four and six a.m. on Saturday morning. Yeah, so it'll be that night that I drive down there. Yeah, even if I kill one, I'll just drive down there and sleep in the truck. Yeah, yeah, and then we'll go to Walmart, get our shopping done, and then we'll be in Kansas. And then, really, the first day in Kansas is going to be like setup day. Although that's some of the better that's weather day. Well, I think we need to get in there. <sighs> Maybe this weather will change. It it had been pretty solid of like high 30s low 40s in the morning high 50s low 60s in the afternoon quickly it's now become like high 60s low 70s which i hate it's a warm rut for sure (sighs) which we kind of knew was coming after it always happens in freaking kansas too we get these warm spells it's like 70 degrees and we're just toasting ourselves out there yeah so uh but we are we we don't know the date yet nick but we are going to do a try to do a podcast live with the dads at kansas deer camp <laughs> i think the first one went over well enough we're decided to do it again so we got to make sure that the internet connection is suitable out there um well, we're gonna have to figure out how to rig a camera to get all four of us too that's gonna be the hard part um we'll probably just have to throw the computer up higher to view us it may not be as uh, well, it wasn't clear anyways. Like yeah. our, our video footage sucks. Um, okay, <laughs> we'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, uh, but that will probably be the best way to, to do it. And uh, yeah, we're just going to have a discussion, talk about camp. I would assume we do it, I don't know, earlier or later in the trip? I don't know. Not sure. We'll figure it out. The later between, the get between now and then. The later in the trip we get, the more rut worn we look. <laughs> it will have already aired by the time you're seeing this. So. Sure. Yeah. So, we'll, we'll put something on social. You but uh, yeah, at worst comes to worst, we'll record it, send it to Nick. Nick can get it up. That's the benefit of subscribing to our YouTube channels. You'll get a notification when we go live. Boop, so boop. there you go. If you needed a reason. Yep. So it should be fun. Um, we always have a blast at, at Kansas Deer Camp. Um, uh, the exciting part is we're going in blind. We don't know what we're into. Like we know where we're hunting because we have the same spots, but we don't know any of the deer. We have no cameras. We have nothing running. We, have mm-hmm. no, we don't know anything. Yeah, looking for some redemption, too. I mean, not to bring it back up, you know, but better now than when we're with them. So, like, last year, you know, in the, in the uh, oh. spirit of transparency, we shot at, and I'll exclude myself from that because I didn't shoot at any of them, but we shot at uh, four, deer. four deer, and we killed one of them. Yes. Recovered one of them. Killed one on the first evening, right? Was it first evening? Uh, one of the first evenings, yeah, if not the first. Yeah. Yeah. So, and so two of those were my dad. And one of them was your dad. Yep. You know, and, and I guess we don't know at the end of the day if those deer died or, you know, we, we certainly put in <laughs> our best. Back to the wounding discussion. Our best effort to recover them. But, I mean, yeah. it's one of them deals where it's like, you know, you try to prepare somebody for the Midwest and, you know, in something like Kansas that's only ever hunted Pennsylvania and even Ohio. It's like 
Mm-mm. There's no way to 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 put yourself in the situation. He's like, there's a big five year old Kansas buck walking. Dude, at those you. deer are so tough too. And yeah, I mean it. It um, I think they'll be ready. I mean it. It like I said, it's a blast, and and you know they've got a little bit of experience around it now. It's just um getting in the right setup. Uh, maybe a little pressure off too, and that like we don't know what deer are there, so it's kind of like, hey, yeah, the no first, cameras, first just going. first deer you see that you're happy with, kill it, you know. <laughs> you want to talk even a little bit about like we've been with your dad, you know, mm-hmm. trying to, uh, and this for the you know per the crossbow conversation, it's mm-hmm. like we're, you know, I think you and I would be in favor of like to your dad. We've both told him like, dude, it's well here. I'll give some context so where this started was like so your your dad got cancer a couple years ago Mm -hmm. right and so like it's it's affected him you know seriously yeah and uh but so he's 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 cancer free now right still there just under control for the most part so it's Mm -hmm. it's not actively growing so um that's affected his ability to climb into a tree stand yes dramatically pretty significantly so Mm -hmm. um you know so he's asking you like hey what's my tree stand setup look like i Mm. you know i don't know if i can climb a hang on stand i I think I need to do a ladder stand, mm-hmm. but he's still like, can I climb the ladder stand? Mm-hmm. Like, and we're like, I don't know, dude. Like, yeah. So it is no brainer for me. I was like, dude, sit a ground blind. Like, yeah. you know, we'll, I've got, the, we'll put you over a decoy. I've got a great spot. Which for is that. easy, except for the fact that because like, I know it, like the chemo and stuff's really affected his joints and his muscles and stuff is that I don't know if he could draw his bow sitting down. Exactly. So it started with the tree stand conversation. We're like, yeah. well, okay. if the I'm tree- going to bring a ladder stand. That's, that is the initial plan right now is I'm going to hang a ladder okay. stand for him. Okay. And um, if that doesn't work or, or whatever, you know, it's like, okay, let, well, let's transition to a ground blind. I think that makes sense. The, the discussion then is he's like, well, I don't know if I can draw my bow sitting like that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, well, if it has to be a ground blind, then it sounds like it might also have to be a crossbow. Like, dude, shoot a crossbow. Yeah, which he won't. And he doesn't want to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because he's... The cancer has not affected his brain. <laughs> he should... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So well, well, yeah, you just don't want to give it up. Yeah. And it's, yeah, and I get it. I mean, it, it it literally is the the point in everyone's life where at some point you're like, I can't shoot this compound anymore. I either don't hunt or I shoot a, a crossbow, which is what it's there for. Um, yeah. So I don't. Know. I, it's kind of like driving a truck. It's like, man, you, the, there does reach a point where it's like maybe you shouldn't have a driver's license anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, very very high chance that it will be be in the back of my truck for Kansas. The crossbow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To have. Gonna bring a ground blind. Yep. Probably not a bad move. Yep. I'll have one. Um, I would be. F- I'd fully in support of that tactic for your dad. I, th- sure. I think a ground blind. Ground blind with a crossbow is maybe. I mean, I think it'll be enjoyable for him. Although you know, blinds just are not as enjoyable. As a tree stand. As a tree I think he'll be fine in the ladder stand. Um. You know, I I just have to visualize kind of where it's gonna go, and you know. A ladder stand inherently is a bigger pain in the ass to set up right away. Oh, definitely. Um, but I, I think we can get a ladder stand up, and and I think he'll be, I'll be, I think he'll be comfortable in the ladder stand. Um, Check this out. This is really cool. Um, Jed texted me the other day, and because mm-hmm. um, I, I, this four year old's been running all over that farm. So dude, yeah. We got to get si- get Silas. He, uh, he's walking the line. I guess kind of like you are up. His son's like not losing interest, but it's just kind of like, eh. I know Carter's kind of. I mean. I've seen Taste, his um, his friend was talking to him about, uh, he almost got a shot at a really nice eight point with the crossbow the other day, because they're both in sixth grade. Yeah. And I so I saw a little bit of it kick back on him, and I was like, all right, dude, I was like, when do you want to go? I'm like, just let me know. Yeah. But yeah. What, well, so, yeah, and Silas is hunting with a crossbow, and um, has only ever hunted out of blinds. And I didn't, I don't know that I ever I fully mean, knew that. Uh, Carter's hunted out of a tree stand maybe once or twice. It's just hard with two people. I know, I know. Well, and so... 
and I was like, dude, that buck is at that tree stand. Like, that's yep. where you guys need to be. And he's like, well, Silas has never hunted out of a tree stand. Like, how would we even do that? I was like, well, you would just hang a stand next to him. And he's like, I never thought of that. Sure. Right? So, because they haven't either. I don't know, blind. <laughs> yeah. And it sounds like they did that the other oh, night. Oh, did they? And he's like, dude, Silas has like a whole new outlook on hunting. He's like, he's, he's like, that was amazing. As, and, uh, it, he's right, dude. I've, it's just the auditory and uh, the your senses are plain and simple, dude. Hunting out of blind sucks. Like it, it, does. it literally it takes you way out of the element. Yeah, and it's like you, you're just you're you're only experiencing a small amount of like you know actually being in the woods. Yeah. Yes, they are pivotal for sure. pivotal for some situations, and like they'll put you where you need to be, and so like they're they're a tool. Mm-hmm. But I was super excited to hear him say, he's like, dude, Silas is excited about hunting again. He Now he just wants to hunt from tree stands. Yeah, and that's that's my hopeful move here. And I'm not pushing him. Like, whether we do it, we, we'll try to probably pull it off this week one day. I'm, I'm going to try to get him out. If not, when we come back from Kansas, we have like three or four days that we're going to be hunting in Kentucky. And so I'll for sure pull it off there because I don't really have any blinds set up. Yeah, um, And a ladder stand's a great, great, absolutely. you know, deal for that. I I. I think ladder stands are great, you know, for, especially for big gnarly trees Yeah, that you can't get a hang on in. I mean, that's yep. that for me, that's what they're for. I love them. I mean, I, uh, I prefer a lock on personally, but from a standpoint of stability and, and just being in there, like I, you know, I've killed plenty of deer out of, of ladder stands and I had some of those like, um, I don't know, they're like the Hawk or big game 1.5s and like with Harlan or Carter, we the three the both of us could fit in there. Two of us could fit in there. Yeah. Um. But now we're getting to the point where they're getting bigger and I'm getting fatter, so <laughs> sure. it just doesn't help. Right, um. Right, right. So yeah, I need to figure out something to where he's not also feeling like flustered and that I'm not right there to help him. You know, because yeah. they're still young. So, but they do. They've both sat in the last year a couple ladder sits, and I think they were like, "Whoa! Like this is I know what like this is like the deer's looking right at me. Like yeah. they, you know, I can't move. Yeah. Um. You know, and they've they've learned the lesson hard. I know Harlan got busted by some does because you know he kind of the little things he could get away with in a blind. He was trying to do in the ladder, and I was like, "Dude, they they aren't nope. going to tolerate that." Nope. Um. So, but yeah, I I like that, and so. I, you know, my hope is the ladder stand situation works out with my dad. I'll have two actually. I'll have that kind of a running gun ladder stand, and then I'll have like a traditional big game if I've got to build that some bitch and put it up. I'm, I'm kind of wait. What a running gun ladder stand? Mm-hmm. What's that? Uh, it's a Novix. Okay. Um, it's called a Raider ladder stand. Okay. It's like forty two pounds. And how does that work? Um, so it it's a normal ladder stand section, mm-hmm. right? And then it's got quick adapters to build the the stick or the ladder for it. But I, I, it's a backpack. Like I could put a forty pound tree stand on my back. No way. Stack it, run in there, put it together, throw it up on the tree. Oh, that's and awesome! Like ready to roll. That's awesome. That's why I bought it for him. Cool. Yeah, nobody else really makes one that's like a run and gun ladder. Um, uh, you know, this trip's uh, all about. Uh, you know, you can only pack so much in the truck or whatever. I did the espresso machi- machines in the truck. Of course, but, it is. By the way, oh yeah, I'm not leaving without it. Uh, I also put a pole saw in there, a full size pole yep. saw. And it, that was one of those things where I was like, it's awkward, you know, yeah. but man, if we, mm-hmm. especially for your dad's ladder stand, I was like, if we end up True. hanging a stand earlier in the week or like it absolutely needs it, then I, I would rather have it. Yeah. I mean, because we don't know what we're getting into, it's more of a, like a run and gun for you and I, and, and just getting the dad, we, I think we know where your dad's going, probably same spot as last year. Yeah. Um, you know, along with one of us probably. Yeah. My, my goal is just try to 
get them situated in like a good spot and then I'll figure it out from there. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, we, have, we have options. I mean, we spent yeah. enough time there. Like e- even spots that have dried up in the past, like, I don't know. It's the rot. If man. we get time, like I'd run into the ants and just go look. You yeah. Know? Just it's check the it rot. Out. Deer, deer in there. It's just, you know, figuring out. So yeah, it should be cool. Um, you know, hopefully we get them in a good situation where they, they've got a shot at it. And, um, do that. Yeah. Uh, just, Total pivot here. I saw a giant buck the other day. I, I didn't really catch Where? it up in Ohio. Oh, the one you were sitting. Yeah. And you don't recognize that deer. No. Hmm. You recognize the other deer that were with him, right? I think so. Yeah. At least I could speculate. Speculate. Yeah. So I. Big hunt, nine point is what you said? Big nine point. Yeah. Because I, I, I saw a big four on his right side. Mm-hmm. So I was hunting a grassy knoll, basically. So. Yeah. Um, that's, you know, one of the situations where I. I saw him out there. It was just like, it was classic rut. It's like, you know, there's two or three bucks, one of them for sure a shooter mm-hmm. with some other two and three-year-olds and stuff with kind of a horde of does. And they're just running circles around each other. And the bucks just, he's just standing his ground. Like just I can tell who's them. the dominant there. Yeah. So that's where I threw the kitchen sink at him. I mean, he was 400 yards and I'm just rattling my balls off and just like the loudest snort wheeze you've ever heard. I said, it sounded like I was letting air out of a bouncy house. <laughs> <laughs> And he heard it. He heard every one of them. He just didn't give a shit. He just, there was no, was, was, yeah, you're not going to pull him off, off, off yeah. the tail to come catch the horn, you know? So. It's a pretty good saying. Yeah, he just wasn't coming. You'd but, have to question him if you did. Yeah. So I did. Um, <laughs> did I tell you what happened with that? Did I tell you huh. afterwards? So my plan was. I, was I like, know you got down to go and like make a move on him. Yeah. So they'd cut the beans the night before. So mm-hmm. it's like I had a freshly picked bean field and I saw where they all went down into um, and so my plan was just to walk clear across the field, get to the fence line because it's the property line. And I was like, I'll just walk it down and mm-hmm. I'll see if there's any trees down there that make sense. My thought being that those does are going to probably come back up into the bean field at night and, and bring sure. those does with them, bucks with them. And so I did, went and picked a tree, thought it was going to work. And my plan was to put that decoy out in the field yep. and just kind of, cause it's a big giant sure. field. Um, so I went back to the house, pulled that pond, mm-hmm. that, that uh, water hole camera on the way back and checked it. And that uh, the only other shooter in there that I knew of was, in was on the pond 25 minutes after I got down, mm-hmm. maybe 10 minutes before so I pulled wasn't the camera. In, he wasn't in that group. So he wasn't in that group. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, that confirmed. I was like, yeah, it's definitely a different deer. And so I went back to the house, changed, and I just kind of lighten my load a bit or whatever uh through the top <laughs> <laughs> whoa 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 you're right yeah wow how much time did you take <laughs> <laughs> i'm not sure why that's so funny yeah uh, it's just i just dropped you know drop some stuff off <laughs> it's just getting late in the rut here getting a little bit worn out <laughs> And, uh, so whatever I did there, <laughs> uh-huh. yeah, whatever. I don't need to know about it. <laughs> I, uh, my plan was to just drive my truck right back to that spot. So, cause I was like, man, they're, they're, they, you know, they went down in there. It was earlier in the morning too. So I was That's like, one bottom they would have dropped down into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so honestly, I had a decision. I was like, I could, I could drive back through a lot of the property the way that I drove out, which sure. I only did that to pull that camera in because why not? Yeah. Or I just go up the normal driveway. There's like a right of way up into this property. I was like, that makes sense. Yep. That's, I think that's where I messed up. Like I 
drove back up that right away, and sure enough, I see your, I see deer scattering. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I'll be honest with you, this got it got kind of western a little bit. Like I'm driving up, and I see a and and I know that these bucks. And I was like, this whole herd of deer kind of yeah. went down in here. I see the one running off. I throw the I have my big binos to throw them up. I see okay, it's a buck. So I just kind of keep going, and I get up, and eventually I see I see the big buck, uh, not far from me, fifty yards off the road. Like, and he's <laughs> so, so I'm like, I, he might have been up already. It's possible it was the one that I saw run, or, I, but I don't know. I threw binos, and I got a decent look at him. I'm like, there, that's him. Yeah, gigs up at that point. So I'm like, I'm not gonna sneak past him or anything. I see him kind of run up and over the hill. So I floor it. <laughs> Then reminded this is an old, uh, it's a well road, yeah, all rutted yeah. up and stuff. And I'm in my forerunner. <sighs> I rip it up and around him. I'm like, I'm gonna get a look at this thing. I want to see yeah. what he is. And I get ahead of him and I cut him off. Okay, and I'm right at the Ramsey house now, <laughs> and he, I see him standing there up in the day, yeah. broad daylight. Honestly, when he turned around, like his frame didn't look as big to me. Yeah, but I still don't know exactly what he was, mm-hmm. to, to be honest. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> That, yeah, it was over Mass at that point. I was like, there's no, there's yeah. no more setting up on this. All, all the deer ran off and stuff. So I was like, well, you know, that was it for that night. So I don't know. I don't know exactly what that deer was. That situation's probably, uh, it's not worth going back and hanging that stand sure. unless I knew they were kind of down in there. But I did find a, you said a giant rub I posted to Instagram. Oh, yeah. It's right there. It's like that Ramsey house. Mm. It comes up in that valley. It's a historic rub. You, yeah. I remember I've put a camera yep. on there before, and I've gotten uh, Duke yep. on there. and like I just keep crushing So I'm missing it. something coming up there. I mean, it's a lot of ground to cover, man, and especially this time of year. Those bucks push from one patch to the next, and you just never know what's going to It's gonna hard, up. man. It just, it's, it's wild to compare even my Ohio farm, even though I've said they're somewhat similar. In this way, they're really different. To com- uh, compare my Ohio farm to our Illinois farm, it's like... Uh, it's like there's no question where the spots are at in Illinois. It's sure. like, dude, when we get bucks on camera, I get them on three cameras, and there's two spots where we could have killed them. Just like, keep making the same loop. We yeah. know what loop they're running. In Ohio, it's like, dude, even after six, seven years of hunting that place, it's like we still really struggle to find, like, where are those spots that, you know, you're going to kill a majority of the bucks, like the, your rut spots, you know? It's challenge. It's yeah. just really tough. There just aren't as many of them. The way that the topography lays and stuff is just really it's yeah. it's really kind of random. Yeah, which random. is odd. I mean, because we have 140 acres in in Illinois, and it like you going in, leaving tonight. Like I'm very confident you're going to encounter one of those bucks this week. Yeah, like, very confident. Yeah, no pressure. <laughs> no pressure. But I mean, it just seems like the way that those deer make those loops. That as long as you don't get winded, you're in. You said one of those spots should yeah, be in good shape. Should be in good shape. Yeah. So I don't know, but yeah, I mean, it'll be. You know, uh, I'm waiting for this rut stash to uh, give me the powers. To kick. I mean, <laughs> it's been, it, you know, it's the seventh. I mean, this is th- this next, you know, 10 to 14 days are pretty freaking special to be in the woods. You know, unfortunately, it looks like most of us are going to have really warm weather. Um, I think that mornings are going to be key uh, to, to catching movement. Um, doesn't mean that you can't kill one midday, but I, I don't think it's going to be very high. Um, I think, you know, mornings and evenings, kind of like, you know, pre-rut is going to be your key and, you know, uh, probably water holes, you know, or water in the vicinity uh, is going to be very, they very... They are starting to turn on a little bit, the water holes are. Yeah, very necessary in terms of what you're experiencing. So, 
Yeah, just keep that in mind as kind of as you're looking for the next, uh, you know, even if you're listening to this Thanksgiving week, I mean, we're probably, we're probably due for a pretty big cold front here, um, Thanksgiving week. A lot of gun seasons are open. A lot of gun seasons are about to open, Pennsylvania and Ohio especially, or within the next week if you're listening to this. Um, so, yeah, I mean, shit's going to get Western real quick. Yeah. Um, you know, and so uh, just enjoy it. It's November. It's funny when November comes around, like it feels late. It feels like we've been, we're, we've got a fair amount of hunting under our belts, Sure, you know, but it's like, it's, it's just November 7th. Like we're, yeah, the next, we're peaking right now. November, November is awesome. I mean, it, it, um, it throws a lot of curveballs at you. The weather, the weather always can be a negative impact on stuff, but, um, it's November. And I, I think that you stand just as good of a chance to, to kill a big buck in November as you do any other month. And, um, I, I do think that if you're listening to this Thanksgiving week, Nick, then probably in the next week or so, man, that's where you hope you have food sources because those, those does are going to be on them. Those bucks are going to start to look for those last does as well as start to put a little bit of the feed bag on here. Um, I think that's going to, you may even have new bucks show up, uh, if you have food because that's oh. what they're going to be on. Well, dude, and I sent you some pictures there, but I feel pretty good about our, the bean field. That we planted. Yes. Yeah, there's a ton of food there. Yes. I'm actually pretty confident that there's if, a lot of food if they're there. still alive, like those, some of those bucks that I saw on the Ramsey and Would stuff. Would be right up in there. Yeah, I think we're going to, we'll, we'll end up pulling them. Yep. Bed food, bed food. Yeah. At that point. So definitely helps elongate the season in that sense. I mean, do a lot of people, the gig is up after yeah. uh, November. Most basically. of my farms historically have. It'll be interesting to see what uh, Ohio does with a lot of treetops and browse down after this timber. Uh, as well as, you know, I've got some food plots. Kentucky, I've got a lot of food on my new farm. Really, I mean, I've seen some bucks. I've seen a couple of decent bucks, but nothing new. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've got some food in some places. My my <clears throat> Pennsylvania one is going to start struggling here. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's the unfortunate part about yesterday is, like, I'm I'm about at peak here. You know, in the next, right before we leave for Kansas, like, that's it. Yeah. It starts to go downhill. Gun season, I'm hoping that, um, Carter will have some success. I know Emily will hunt gun too, but, um, you know, we'll take a couple does off still, but we're starting to, we're starting to be on the, the downgrade here. Uh, it's just cause we don't have the food to hold them. And I'm in, you know, huge mountain country. We're going to have an actual like doe fest this year. I think during one of the gun seasons, mm. uh, that'd be interesting. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if you and if you want to bring the kids up or whatever, but sure. that's mainly what it is. His dad's got kids from church that they're, he's friends with their dad. Like a war stuff. zone out there probably. Well, we need to whack a lot of does. We yep. really do. I mean, I just think that we, uh, the, Get the, the old cooler truck lined up. The more time I spend on our property, it's just like, man, it's, you know, granted it's a large amount of acreage, but it's like, so you can only take on so many projects at once, but it's like compared to like our Illinois farm and stuff, it's like, man, we really are struggling for, mm-hmm. for cover for mm-hmm. mainly, you know, those, yeah. those burns are looking yeah, great. Yeah, awesome. I can't wait to see how those uh, pan out in the next couple of years. I think they'll be pretty clutch. So, anyways, uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Hunter Podcast and enjoy November and Turkey Days coming up. And uh, if you're listening to this, you probably already heard us live in Kansas, but that's where we'll be next. Sounds good. Later. It take me. Oh.